Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Hello, guten tag, or whatever else you say hello, not time to mess around this week, we got a lot to fucking talk about, I am Chad, coming to you from my living room, not even going to call it the attic, I don't even care, I am joined by the co-host with the mostest, my good buddy, the man that we call Big Baby Daddy Diesel. Thank you, Dadalack, I'm here in Diesel's Devastating Dungeon of Delight. It's, I said it wrong. It's Dapper Dungeon of Delight. I'm trying to do this fast and yeah, fucked up. But anyways, you know what I've decided? What? Decided that I'm pretty much a boomer. And there it is. Even though I'm not, but at the same time I am because I really enjoy writing notes in a notebook rather than typing them out. And I don't know. It's just something like with my notebook in front of me right now. It's just something that I like. I have my own little system and yeah. That doesn't make you a boomer, Diesel. We still wrote in notebooks when we were in school. Like, we were the last generation that still probably had notebooks and we didn't bring laptops to school every day. But that doesn't make you a boomer, man. We're not that old. You mean the greatest generation. Yeah, we are the greatest generation. That's for sure. All right, we're not getting into that this week, though. That is not, there's not time on the docket for it. Let's just jump right into that first segment and really the only segment besides the final segment. It's time for. Hashtag TRT, otherwise known as Top Rope Topics. And we got three major things to cover this week. So let's not, once again, beat around the bush. Diesel, story number one. The first thing, like, we've, we haven't talked much about this, and it's been a big topic for months now. But, like, it seems like everything happens, like, right after we record, and then by the time we record, it's a week old. But this is... A good time to talk about it because it's uh, Vince McMahon is finally retired. And number one, it's this isn't the way anybody predicted it to end. Everyone thought he was going to die while still being in charge of WWE, which oh, 100%. Happen. He was and definitely going to die in the office. Nobody, nobody shocked that this is the outcome. And like he's dodged so many bullets over the years, he was definitely going to get hit by one eventually. Uh, but at the same time, it's just, it's crazy because when we started this podcast five years ago, we would talk about a lot, how we get questions from high flyers asking us like what it's going to look like when Vince McMahon dies or when he's gone, when he's not a part of the WWE anymore. Their answer was always the same. Uh, Stephanie McMahon was going to be in charge and Triple H was going to basically had like the talent and the, the 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 creative and that's kind of what has happened i know it's stephanie mcmahon's only half in charge but at the same time like triple h is like in control of creative which i'm excited for but uh this whole vince mcmahon thing is just it's nuts that he's gone but like with triple h things are going to change yeah and 
it's going to take a minute. It's not going to be like, it's going to be overnight. And like, things are going to be like awesome. WWE, they need to fix a lot of things, but like we're in for a change. And I'm not saying that I'm going to jump on board WWE right now. They have to win me back, but, uh, they, and you're a prize, like Diesel. Man. You remember that. You're a prize. I am a prize, but they have the right man creatively to win me back. So I'm I'm getting excited. Like wrestling is about to get even crazier than it's been before because now Tony Khan should be shaking his boots. Yeah, I mean, if Triple H truly has creative control, which is what's being said, and Vince McMahon's not still like sending him emails going oh no 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 trips this is what you gotta do like then i am all in and tony khan should be scared as hell because there's a multi-billion dollar corporation now who has far more reach than you do and far more hands and more pies than you do and if they're gonna just go for this like i don't think triple h would want to kill aew in any way because he just loves pro wrestling but it it could spell bad things for AEW's control of the key demographics, if you will. So in some ways, this could be bad for AEW and their TV deals, which is apparently already up in the air right now. But Vince McMahon retiring, and now with the news story that he's being federally investigated for using company money to pay this hush money, I mean... Is there anything more wrestling than this? Like, is there any more way more wrestling than Vince McMahon could have gone out? No, I mean, it's a good way to write him off. But, like, I'm waiting for the the spin or, like, the twist of it all because, like, because it is wrestling. Like, he's going to kick out somehow. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, it's Vince McMahon. He's very, very powerful and like i think that he did what he did was morally and it was also legally wrong so and i mean sorry but uh you fucked up and you got caught and now you got to deal with the consequences and we get to reap the benefits because you're no longer like booking like very confusing and like irritating and very aggravating wrestling. It's just like, I'm not sorry to see him go. Like it's been way overdue and I, I'm excited to see what it looks like with triple H at the helm because the NXT that literally was the best wrestling in the world for like a couple years, like more than a couple years. It was, it had, it's like really good, like with uh, Kevin Owens and like that time period. Finn Balor, Sami Zayn. And then it kind of like, when they all went to the main roster, it kind of got a little weird, but then it had its resurgence and I think it even got better. And it's, I'm excited. Uh, like Triple H lost the Wednesday Night War in uh, air quotes. And he got punished for that. He got NXT taken away from him and, like, all this stuff. And then, fortunately, he had his, like, heart incident. But uh, now, like, he wasn't finished. Like, he didn't even get a chance. Like, they, they just pulled it out from under him. And, like, they took it off Wednesday nights. Now, 
he has the full arsenal of the WWE brand, main roster, and everything to actually fight this war against uh, AEW. And, like, they can say it's not a war as much as they want, but it is a war, especially with the guy who led the war against WCW at Monday Nitro. Like, that's Triple H. That's who he is. That's I At least that's how I feel. I think he's going to say that, yeah, it's not a war, but, like, deep down, He's a very competitive, like person. He's the game, and yeah. he likes to play games. So I'm, I'm all in. And like AEW is already like flying on the seat of their pants, but you know they're gonna step it up because of this, and they might crash and burn. So I don't know. It's it's gonna be interesting. Competition creates chaos, and in chaos there is room to rise. And right now we are in. Probably the most chaotic time of pro wrestling since the steroid scandals or the just formation of the territories or the Monday Night Wars themselves. Because with the giant VKM hole that is now left in the WWE, like, yes, we're all very excited Triple H is taking over. And this Tony Khan, Stephanie McMahon, half-half, like, COO controlling of the actual... Uh, Nick Khan, sorry, I said. It yeah. would kind of be cool if it was Tony Khan and Stephanie McMahon. That'd be interesting. <laughs> be very interesting. Then we could have a real draft. Like we'll just take right. AEW's roster and we'll take WWE's roster and we'll have a real motherfucking draft. You know what? Uh, sidebar. Ding. Sidebar. Ding. Why? Why can't wrestling companies like trade contracts? Like, why? I don't. Why isn't it like? I don't know. I guess. In like football and stuff, it's a team under one like yeah, like one NFL huge like, banner. Roof. Yep, it's all about the business, man. I don't know. Like think about it. Like a guy like MJF who doesn't want to be in AEW anymore, and now is the perfect time for him to go to WWE. Because if he would have went to WWE under Vince McMahon, like yeah, it would have been like Vince McMahon would have liked him, but he would have never been the guy under Triple H. A guy like uh, MJF, he would step it up as a heel, I believe. And with now Raw being a TV 14 rating, like MJF actually has a place in the WWE. So that gets uh, very interesting as well. I I fully expect him to be in the WWE when his contract is up from AEW. And I think we probably won't see him in AEW again. But we so- might. You never know. So, weird thought here, because one of his other boys is currently in the WWE, and he's hurt right now. What does this all mean for the man they call Cody Rhodes? Because if there was one person he fired more shots at in everything he did, it was Triple H. The, the you know, cone of his ire was pointed at the game. He fucking slat or you smashed a throne with a sledgehammer. Like, what does this mean for Cody Rhodes? Nothing at all. I think that Triple H, like, he knows it's wrestling. He probably chuckled to himself when he did it. You know, I don't think he holds any. Like, from what I've always heard, like they're they're good with each other. Like, because Dusty and Triple H were like thickest thieves so like i think that uh triple h kind of holds a special place for cody 
And I think that Cody was always kind of his mentor in a way. So it's that was all in a, a weird roundabout way was to kind of pay homage to Triple H, even though it was mockery. But sometimes they say the sincerest form of, what is it, flattery is... Imitation. Or mockery is the sincerest form of flattery. So, like, I don't know. It's it's weird, but I, I feel like they're good with each other. Like, yeah. I think that Triple H wouldn't be dumb enough to be like, oh, fuck you, get out of my company. Like, I feel like Cody has a lot of money-making potential. I mean, obviously. And, yeah, he's definitely got to be in their plans to, to throw in Roman Reigns. Who is the first guy? Who is currently high up on the card right now that is going to drop like a stone, do you think? Jeez. Uh, first guy on the card that's going to drop like a stone? I don't know. It's hard because I haven't really been watching the products. So I don't really know like what's going on. I don't know. It's a tough one because like you have a lot of these guys are NXT guys that are there. So it's it's kind of hard to say. Like, I guess maybe like Brock Lesnar and like Goldberg, they won't be bringing them back as much because Triple H realizes that it like they have a bunch of stars and they don't need to keep on bringing these dudes back. Like, which is asinine to me, like back on Friday when Vince McMahon retired and Brock Lesnar walked out for a hot minute. And yeah. their first reaction was, we're going to call Goldberg to see if we can get Goldberg to wrestle at SummerSlam in the place of Brock Lesnar. It's like, you dumb motherfuckers. Like, put somebody else that, like, wrestles every fucking week, night in, night on. Like, put them in this spot. You know, it's like, why would you call Goldberg? We don't want to see that match. There's nobody that wants to see that match. I never want to see another Goldberg match as long as they live. <laughs> Unless I'm watching old Goldberg matches, but I don't want to see a new Goldberg match for as long as I live. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Goldberg. Like, like I love Goldberg, but it's just like I've had enough. Had enough. You had your time in the sun, good old Bill. Time to get the fuck out of here. I wouldn't. I'm not opposed to him coming back and, like, spearing people every now and then. Like, Stone Cold will come back and deliver a couple stunners, you know? Like, I'm cool with seeing Goldberg on my TV. I'm just I'm just sick of seeing him go for the title every fucking time. I 100% agree. I couldn't believe when those reports came out that they were going to call Goldberg and not just go with anyone on the roster that they already have. But if I had to pick... Done, like, remember, uh, like, when the brand split happened again and they did that, uh, that seven-man, like, elimination match? The gauntlet and or seven man scr scramble. No, it wasn't even a gauntlet because they're all in the match. And Jinder oh. Mahal was the winner and then he became champion. And they tried something new, they could have done something like that, you know. And or they could have just been like Austin Theories, like I'm cashing in my fucking money in the bank. They have other options, they didn't need to call fucking Goldberg. That's just that's my point. They didn't call Goldberg. I know you're very upset about even the prospect of them calling Goldberg, but I do need you to chill the fuck out because they didn't actually call okay. him. Okay, but he's still facing Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yes. Well, we can't fix everything overnight. And though, if, if I had to choose one person that I thought was going to fall immediately off the card in just rapid succession, it's Omos. 
Omos, the only reason he's fucking there is because he's a giant dude and Vince loves himself a giant. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like, because I always felt like NXT was like a level playing field. Like, I felt like anybody, like when NXT was like on top of its game, I felt like anybody could win the top championships. And I hope that it feels that way in WWE. Like, it doesn't really feel that way in AEW. They try to make it feel that way, but it doesn't feel that way because their whole, like, ranking system doesn't make any sense. I mean, I applaud them for sticking to it, but they're, they've are they never once, like, said how it works. You no. just you tune into Dynamite, and they'll be like, this tag team is number one contenders, and it's like, why? And you'll see a team on there that you never see wrestle on Dynamite that's, like, third. It's like dark matches should not count because those are like glorified squash matches. Like, you yeah. know who's going to win. That's why I don't watch dark because every time you know who's going to win, you know? Yeah. AEW does for some reason think that we are going to watch every bit of content that they put out each and every week. When even WWE, who has a much bigger, you know, longer stake with all of us, we don't even watch all of their content that they put out each and every week. And that's why things like Velocity and Main Event uh, and all the other shows like that, 205 Live, never actually counted for anything. Because unless you're on, yeah, unless you're on the main show, which is actually on TV, aka either Rampage or Dynamite, it never actually happened. But that's that's exactly where their ranking system comes from: is all the dark and elevation matches, which makes sense in some ways, but. I'm not fucking watching Dark and Elevation. There's already thousands of hours of wrestling every single week, and I don't need to watch your glorified squash matches. And you'll tell me anything that's important from it on Dynamite. Yeah, and like there's already thousand hours a week, like you said, especially this time of year when it's the G1 climax. And look at that transition, Chad. Look, right look at there. that fucking the segue. Next topic. He's he's really he's getting better at them, folks. He's really getting better at these segues because yes. It is 100% G1 season, and boy howdy, we've had four nights slash mornings for us since last recording, and once again, we're going night by night. We'll go to each of the matches. I already had the times written down, and we're going to talk about all of them in succession. So, we're starting at night four, which was way back when on the 23rd of July, which was a Saturday, folks, and... Before I even kick the matches off, you know what the craziest thing about the G1 is? And it used to be even crazier before they had the English commentary at every show. So many of these matches take places in the tiniest of fucking arenas. Like, you literally, if you lived in Japan, could go and see one of the greatest wrestling matches possibly you've ever seen. Because sometimes G1 matches are just so fucking good. Like, you could see a five-star match in a place that holds like 300 people. And it just blows my freaking mind every time I see it. You know, like Corgan Hall, which is like one of the most famous places for wrestling in the history of Japan, like that's a pretty tiny place, but it's like so historic. They've been wrestling there for like over 100 years. It's like every time they wrestle there, I think it's like awesome. I always love seeing them wrestle there. And like I always find it funny that the uh, English commentary team like they're not even by the ring. They can't even see the ring where they're sitting. They're in the like entranceway. Yep. Yeah. No. It's it's uh they uh, stick them way back there. They're like, yeah, you're not that important. 
But they get interviews that way. Yep. Oh, yeah. I love when they Kevin Kelly is sticking the mic in people's faces as they're coming out. But, right. So, back to night four. Once again, we're not going to talk about the opening tag matches because we've got time for that right now. We're just going to jump right into the G1 action. So, kicking off night floor, night four, not night floor. Night four was C-block action, and we had Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Aaron Hanare. I really love how uh, Zack Sabre Jr. always has to, he's always better when he works up the opponent and, like, fires them up and gets them, like, angry with those little, almost like uh, Orange Cassidy does with his, like, super kicks. Like, he does those little, like, kicks to the face that aren't meant to hurt, but it's more meant to, like, taunt and, like, just piss people off. And, like, I've always, like, enjoyed that about Zack Sabre Jr. because it always makes the matches better, and then he's always got the upper hand. That's how he always gets his uh, submissions in because – the other person's too mad and he catches him. Uh, yeah. But early on, uh, Hanare was in control. Like, in the, but at the same time, Zack Sabre Jr. was like picking his spots. Every time that Hanare would like have a misstep, Zack Sabre Jr. would kick him or get him in uh, submission. And like, also, uh, Hanare was working over the ribs in this match. And I don't know. I, it almost seemed like it was legit. It wasn't even like, because I know they mentioned during the New Japan Cup, he had rib injuries and like he's still suffering from them. But like, I don't know. This match was was a good match. Uh, what do you have in your notes? Uh, for this one, I have Hanare is one of the, Aaron Hanare is just one of the guys who's impressed me most since he came to New Japan. I remember when he first came to New Japan and he kind of, Almost had like an ultimate warrior feel where he like ran to the ring and like was like super jacked up all the time. And he was a way better wrestler than Ultimate Warrior ever was and probably a better person as well. But that's neither here nor there. But his like transition, especially since joining United Empire and now after the New Japan Cup and now the beginning of this G1, the dude is just fucking awesome. I mean, the strikes he was laying into ZSJ, like and just... ZSJ is just one of the wiliest motherfuckers on the planet. Like, he's constantly jibber-jabbering with you. Yeah, he's he's slapping you in the face. He's barely kicking you. He's just pushing all your buttons left and right. And ZSJ was pulling this off, but was also taking one hell of a fucking beating throughout this most of this match. I mean, Hanare was landing some body shots that ZSJ didn't see coming. I think that was some of my favorite little spots in this match, which was where... Hanare would, you know, see that ZSJ covered up and he'd cover up his face and then a huge body shot. Or, you know, in reverse, he would raise a leg to try and block a leg kick and he would take another body shot. Like, it was, this felt like a fight, kind of. This felt like an MMA type of match in a lot of ways. And ZSJ, just, yeah, always one step ahead of you. And if you slip up once, you're going to catch you. And like I have for uh, the finish... I wrote that Zack Sabre Jr. wins with a knee bar, and it felt abrupt because it was like you were saying. It did kind of feel like a fight, and it was um, Hanare, like, taking those shots to the rib, and, like, yeah, Zack Sabre Jr. caught him, put him in a knee bar, and Hanare tapped. Yep, uh, yeah, the final notes are that the whole match, ZSJ focused on the legs of Hanare, trying to keep him down for any stretch of time, and he really couldn't throughout the entire match. But then at the end... After a cool reversal of Ultimo, and then Hanare going for Streets of Rage, he reversed it into, and this is what the name of that knee bar slash Achilles lock is. 
It is called the Sunday Rail Engineering Works Replacement Bus Service. And he got Panare to tap out with it at 14 minutes and 15 seconds, bringing Mr. ZSJ, Zack Sabre Jr., to four points, and Hanare sticking at the two points that he got from beating Tanahashi. I didn't know. I like. I know that all his moves are crazy ass names, but I didn't know that's what that one was called. And I think it's hilarious. It's oh. a good name. Um, I gave this match uh, three point two five stars. Solid wow. opener, but I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. Hey, you know what? You know what a great way to start a review out is when you're doing it with a friend. You have the same star rating for the first match. Because even though I love ZSJ, this was. This was just a solid opening match. Wasn't anything crazy, but I had a lot of fun doing it. 3.25 stars as well from me. See, I've been kind of grading on a curve, too. I've been kind of looking at, like, other matches. Like, sometimes I feel like I want to give this match a rating, but I'll look at other matches at that rating, and I'm like, was it as good as that? No, yeah. it wasn't. So, like, yeah. So, I see. I definitely am grading on a curve as well because some of these guys have faced each other many times. And thus, if you've faced someone many times, you are making a much stiffer grader. So some of my grades might be a little lower than yours or your people's out there. But just know that I this is what I truly think and everyone's entitled to an opinion. I feel like once you get into like the four territory, like I'm asking a lot. So like, I don't know. It's I haven't been given up too many above fours. But, like, we'll talk about some above four matches, like, later on. But uh, let's get back into G1. We just might. All right, let's go to match number two from night four. This came to us from D-Block. And this was the dragon, Shingo Takagi, taking on the headhunter, Yoshihashi. Yeah, this one had, like, a really slow start. It felt like they were, like, feeling each other out and... It just, it never, it didn't keep going right away, and I was kind of, like, bored by it. But, like, the good part about, like, the slow start is it kind of turned into, like, a back and forth. And it's, so basically there was never either of the guys that were on top in this match for, like, the good, probably first half of the match. But uh, uh, there was a good spot. Shingo was hit with Karma, and... He kicked out because uh, Yoshihashi took too much time. Um, there was also a good spot. Like, Yoshihashi had, like, second half of this match, he really was in control because he also hit uh, um, Shingo with the Brain Buster and had a near fall. And, like... Uh, it was a Canadian like, Destroyer into a Brain Buster, which seeing Shingo Tagagi take a Canadian Destroyer was something to see. Like, yeah, Yoshi had, like, this match in control, like the second half of the match, but you just couldn't put him away. And that's the kind of like the story of the match was like, he was like dominating, but he just couldn't do enough. And yeah. Yeah. My notes for this match are pretty short and sweet there. It was a pretty standard back and forth to start this match out. I thought that the like clothesline off into the dragon suplex, but onto Shingo and then Shingo just no selling that and hitting the sliding clothesline right away was just an A plus spot. Like it looked so smooth. Like it was quick transitional. Like it didn't look like there was anything planned. It just looked like I know it was planned, but it looked just so good. I thought that 
Yoshihashi, I give him so much shit, and I probably still will continue to give him a ton of shit, but he's also, I have to agree with Brett of the Brain Buster Boys. He is one of the most improved wrestlers in New Japan Pro Wrestling because, damn, like, this battle with Shingo, while it was pretty standard, there was a lot of huge moves hit in it. I love the fact that commentary kept putting over that they had the same finishing maneuver and that they were both interested in taking their own finishing maneuver and they both kicked out of it. So, you know, it's like, oh, you, you know, it's your move. You know how to kick out of your own move and how to take it better than anyone else might. That was great. And then I love the end that uh, Shingo had to use a trapping pinfall to get the win over Yoshihashi. And then commentary was all about, you know, Yoshi to take that next step. Maybe he needs one of these moves. Because if you really think about it, and the more you watch the G1, you realize that basically every one of the major stars in New Japan has a like pinfall, like kind of trapping move for their victory to just, like yeah. sneak a win out. Yeah, for my finish, I wrote Chingo reverse karma into uh, roll up stacked pin for the win. And <laughs> how much time was this match? This match went 17 minutes and 28 seconds. And this match, I gave 3.5 stars. Just a little bit better than that opening encounter. I really like the second half of this match. Um, I gave it a little bit higher. I gave it 3.75 stars. Wow. All right. All right. Well, let us move on to the third match of Night 4. And this came to us from A Block, a.k.a. The Monsters Block. And this match was between Toriano and the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. So I I loved this match. I loved that right out of the gates, Yano wasn't his normal, like, cheerful self. You could tell he was angry and he was focused on winning this match. And before the bell even rung, when uh, Okada was taking his robe off, Yano attacked him. To get the upper hand, and like he was whooping Okada's ass for oh, like, yeah. a good like chunk of this match, and he took him to the outside and was beating him down and tried to win by count out. And uh, Okada snuck Not in within one. 19. Yeah, within yeah. one, yeah. Um, the like the first I wrote in my notes the first 10 minutes, Yano was in complete control, like there was like nothing, and also there hasn't been a match where it was under. 11 minutes between these two. So, like, Yano, also, they went, I don't know what the official time was. We'll find out in a minute. But, like, yeah, Yano, like, beat that. Um, he didn't. He official didn't. time. The official time on this match because of the pre-match shenanigans before the bell was actually rang, the match time was only 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Oh, wow. I don't know. I thought it was longer, too. I'm not even kidding you. When I looked it up, I couldn't believe it. But uh, I have uh, Okada kicked out of a demon killer, and, like, Yano, like, lost his shit. He was, like, going after the referee. Like, Yano wanted to win this match. And uh, he uh, brought the chair in the ring. Uh, Okada ended up hitting him a DDT on the chair. Uh, But then Yano had missed. And misted Okada and almost won. Got a near fall on Okada. And Okada ended up winning with a money clip. And Yano tapping out. And Yano at the end was begging for forgiveness from Okada. Because they're both part of chaos. 
Yeah, no, I, once again, I give a lot of shit to Yano, and I will continue to give a lot of shit to Yano. But this match was one of my favorites up until this point, favorites of the entire tournament. Like, serious Yano, when he is absolute in his, he's still a fuckhead. Like, he still cheats like a motherfucker, but he cheats evilly. Yeah, he's a really good, like, collegiate wrestler. He can toss people around, but he also is really good at cheating. And when he's serious about cheating and winning, he's a lot of fun. Yes, the like just the beginning of the match with him attacking him before the bell and then distracting the referee so he could unwrap his wrist tape and choke Okada with his wrist tape and then bringing back the demon killer powerbomb finisher that he has. Like, that's a wicked fucking powerbomb. Like, it's so much crazy that just by going to your knees, it makes the powerbomb look so much more destructive. I don't really understand why it's just something probably in our brains, but I loved it. And the end of this match was such a wild finish. Like there was counters to the Rainmaker, Rainmaker back and forth. He kept trying to go for, you know, schoolboys and put him back into the power bomb. And then finally with him getting fucked by or hoisted on his own petard by getting DDT'd onto that chair and then the money clip into the victory. Yeah, the official time though, 10 minutes, 10 seconds. Kazuchi Okada gets his second victory of the G1, moving to four points, Yano getting zero and staying at two. I gave this match 3.75 stars. Because again, I was just a little bit higher than you. I gave it four stars. I I liked it that much just because, like, like you said last week, like when you face Okada, every time it feels like you have to beat Okada to win. Like, you don't just win against Okada. You got to beat him. And that's what Yano tried to do. And, like, it just – it was awesome. Just – that match was awesome. Like, it really see was. a different side of Yano and, like, Okada – like, it's always cool to see Okada have to come from behind. Like, and it happens a lot, but, like, he's really good at it. Like, he has a way of doing, like, a hot tag when he's not in a tag team match. And, yeah, Okada is, like – one of the greatest wrestlers ever to step oh, yeah. into the ring. Oh, one I'm of the honored to have seen him wrestle. I've seen him twice. <laughs> well, I mean, I still seen him once. I mean, at least I can say that I've seen it. That's true. That's Just true. the villain that no one will ever talk about except for us. A true villain. A true villain at this point. <laughs> now he's really lived up to that moniker. Yeah. But yeah, no. Never did make a return. I don't think he should probably go by the villain. No, I should probably, get, or party Marty, party Marty wouldn't work either. No, no, it should probably be a new gimmick. Maybe yeah. change the name completely. Yeah, unfortunately. Yep. All right, but yeah, no, I really love this match. Okada can just work with anybody, but seeing this other side of Yano makes me almost want to look up the Chase Owens feud that the commentary was referencing constantly because I just don't think I watched that. It was during my like little rum shringa from New Japan, if you will. But all right, time to move on to our main event of night four. And this was the catalyst, the switchblade, Jay White, your IWGP heavyweight champion, taking on Tamahiro Ishii. Yes. Uh this night was fun because of shenanigans. Like the second half, there's a lot of shenanigans. And this match started out with Jay White telling Gato that he didn't need him tonight. 
and he took him back into the crowd and he sat him in a chair and just told him to watch from back there. And then like immediately, like that didn't work out for Jay White because he was trying to clothesline Ishii and shoulder block him and Ishii wasn't going anywhere. And eventually Gato chucks that chair from the crowd, hitting Ishii, which uh, gives Jay White the upper hand finally. One of my favorite spots I've seen in a very long time and some of the best camera work. That's one of the times where the New Japan camera that isn't as like focused in on the wrestlers or exactly where they are worked out to their benefit because watching Ishii standing on the outside about to like go back into the ring to attack Jay White and just getting blasted out of nowhere with a flying chair. That was a perfect throw. It was so good. And like the chair stayed open too. Like Gato clearly just grabbed the chair and went, ha! And like perfectly threw it. It was wild. But then like after that, there was the spot on the outside where uh, Jay White wrapped uh, the ring apron around Ishii's face. And like Red Shoes was like, Countering him, he's like, "What?" He's like, "He's wearing a mask." He's just giving him a mask. mask. Yeah, it's hilarious. And like, yeah, Once at again, this point, the match. Second note on my sheet. To, oh, sorry. Yeah. Second note on my sheet says White's in ring. Uh, where is it? Uh, White's in ring banter, absolutely fantastic, without compare. Every single time, he gets the crowd into it every time. And like after this, like it turned into like Jay White versus. Red Shoes for a hot minute because, like, Red Shoes wouldn't count out Ishii because of, like, all this stuff that he was doing to him outside of the ring. He wouldn't, like, count pinfalls and stuff like that. So, like, they were getting into it. Like, at one point, uh, Jay White even, like, tugged on Red Shoes' mask. And, like, I don't know. It, I, I liked that, like, Jay White. But that, that was also a good thing about the match because Jay White wasn't 100% focused on Ishii which he should have been because he had the advantage. And that's when Ishii decided to fire up and he went invincible for a hot minute. Like he like, he was like uh, super Mario and he got star power. Like everything that Jay White tried to do for <laughs> to him for a minute, like did nothing. And like, I love Ishii. Like I, he is the perfect wrestler for like his style of wrestling. Like everything he does is just amazing. And like, that's one of my favorite spots is like he's just invincible and I love that he was invincible until he took that nasty like perfect and I don't know how he stood on his head that long like I don't know if Ishii's head is that flat and it's that just improbable or what but he stood perfectly on his head with just Jay White holding him in that headlock from that big DDT after his little flurry and I don't know how he did that. It was like that neck strength of Ishii. He held his entire like 260 pound frame up with just that no fucking neck that he has. It was wild. This match was a lot of fun because like Jay White, like even though he wasn't taking it seriously, he had to like lay a beating on Ishii and it almost wasn't enough. Like he almost wore himself out because like, he did so much shit that he didn't need to do. And, but I mean, at the end, at that spot where he was trying to hit the Blade Runner and he kept on, Ichi kept on countering. I think he countered it like twice. But finally, like the third attempt, uh, Jay hits the Blade Runner and gets the win and oh. four points. 
Yep. Jay undefeated. The end of this match was pretty wild. I mean, you had the once again super shoulder tackle that Ishii does now, where it's just like it's like the old school Monty Brown pounce. Like all he does is he just runs as fast as he can and jumps at the person with his shoulder. And he's done it a couple times. He does it uh, in another match here coming up in a minute. It's a cool as hell spot. And Jay took it like a champ. You know what's funny? There was a Monty Brown shout out, I think, in night six. They said that Lance Archer Going for is the pounds. really good friends with Monty Brown. Yep. That's funny. I haven't heard Monty Brown's name in a while. Uh, except when you're talking to me about the pounce. <laughs> but yeah, Blade Runner for the win. Jay White just too much for Ishii at the end. Uh, I mean, the storytelling was good in this match. Really said a lot. 22 minutes and 2 seconds. So by far the longest match on tonight's card. And I gave this match 3.75 stars. Again, just a little bit higher than you, four stars. But we had the same mindset. It wasn't better than the match before it. No. It was. That's what that's what I kind of based it on. Yeah. Like, did I like it better than the Yano Okada match? And I decided I liked it just as much. Yeah, I kind of honestly almost wish that Okada Yano would have made evented that night. Even though the storyline was huge that Ishii is beating Jay White every time they face each other, basically. So and he is the champ. So I understand why he went on last, but I just maybe would have liked to have seen Okada versus Yano in the main event. Let's move on, though, to night five of the G1. Night five kicked off with D-block action, and this was the Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi, taking on El Fantasmo, a.k.a. ELP. I... I don't know. After watching night five, I feel like this might have been my favorite night so far overall. Like, I don't think it had the best matches, but like storytelling wise, it was really, really good. And right from the beginning of this match, when uh, Yujiro was going to sell Peter to uh, ELP (laughs) for the free two points. Just like uh, old fashioned Godfather style. And ELP, like, they made an agreement. ELP laid down for him and then, like, kicked out and rolled him up right away and, like, was, like, playing possum in a way. And, he got yeah. a kiss from uh, Peter, though, to start the match on the cheek. Yeah. Uh, I also like that, uh, like, Kevin Kelly really likes Peter and, like, he wanted yeah. to have ELP on commentary because... <laughs> yeah, he had that, that's it. from the end of the match, though. No, they're talking about. Oh yeah, I forgot they did start match. talking about it at the Chris beginning Charlton too. Yeah, was making fun of him about yeah. it, <laughs> and he's like, "Chris Charlton, I know you're a married man, but I'm not." Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but like that was ELP. Like started like dominating right away, but then the match ended up going outside, and Peter is uh, very distracting. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And then Yujiro hit uh, Big Juice on the outside and almost got the count out victory, which that would have given him four points in his first two matches if that would have happened, but it was real close. That was one of the closest uh, of all of the tournament. Like, I thought for a second he wasn't going to make it in time because he started like stumbling and went backwards through the yeah. game. <laughs> You're going the and wrong way. Run forward. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, like Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton were yelling at him. Yeah. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. 
Like, I are we just going to call this? I thought for legit, like, they were going to count them out. Like, that was really close. We're just going to call this G1 Climax 32, the count out edition. Because Might if there's count. one main storyline going through this G1 so far, it's that, folks, you better know how fast the 20 count is, and you better be able to get your ass back in the ring. Because it's come up in basically every match. See, I was annoyed by the first three like nights, but then, I don't know, now that it's kind of been like the running theme, I'm not annoyed by it. And I like how it's been playing out in every single match. And it makes me not as upset when a match ends in count out, even if it's by shenanigans, which it usually is. I don't have a problem with it. I kind of like that there's some count out victories because it's a way to get some of these wrestlers some cheap wins that wouldn't get wins otherwise. And it makes it way more interesting when we're going to get down to the end, I think. So I don't mind it. I like yeah. it. And I especially um, think with this kind of more sprint format where it's it's a marathon, but it's also a sprint because you get less matches in it and there's more like random factors in it. I think that, yeah, these count out victories are really going to play into the tiebreakers because it's all going to come down to tiebreakers at the end. And we all know that already and we're okay with it. Uh, Yujiro was like, he's not a very fast like wrestler. Like he's very slow and that's why he loses a lot. But like he did a lot of damage on the outside. So for a while he was slowly like working over ELP and like trying to like wear him down. And, like, everything he would do would always be a two-count. He even hit another big juice, and it uh, ELP kicked out of it. Um, but then ELP started fighting back, and he hit uh, a great name for a move, the UFO, the unidentified flying opponent, which is basically just... Uh, it's, the um, it's the airplane spin into yeah. a just tossing your opponent. Yeah, but I mean, it's a great name for a move. And right before uh, that, he hit that huge sit-out powerbomb on Yujiro, which I thought was really impressive. The other story of this G1 is how good people are at powerbombs now. Because everyone and their mother in this G1 has also been hitting some wicked fucking powerbombs. And uh, when Yujiro was getting up, you get Kevin Kelly yelling, That's my purse after ELP... Nut kicks uh, Yujiro. And Classic. Then, King of the hill, like, baby. Immediately after that, uh, ELP uh, dick punches um, Yujiro. It's a Thunder Kiss 86. And Kevin Kelly yells, you don't know me. <laughs> and uh, ELP gets the win. Yes, he does. In a very fun match. I gotta, I gotta roll it back a little bit because you also have show appears once again because Yudro is okay. in the house of torture, comes out with the wrench, and you have the classic Eddie Guerrero spot where Yudro like ELP gets the wrench from Yudro, but instead of attacking with it, he just throws it to him and starts laying on the mat and screaming in pain, and that's what led to the ref distraction and allowing him to punch him square in the dick. Because it was a perfect square nut punch. And it was. The Ke King of the Hill references from Kevin Kelly right there made it even better. And ELP is just so fucking great. He wins the match, gets his first two points. 15 minutes, 39 seconds. After the match, Peter leaves 
with ELP and Kevin Kelly loses his mind and's like, now we definitely have to have ELP on commentary with us. Yep. <laughs> I I love that. I also yeah, the King of the Hill references I popped for. Like that's why I put it in my notes. And like, yeah, I love King of the Hill. This match was a lot of fun. It wasn't like the greatest match ever. I gave it a 3.25 stars. But, like, I thoroughly enjoyed this match from opening bell to the end. Yeah, I'm just super impressed with ELP, I feel like. So I ranked it just a little bit higher. And just the extra Peter shenanigans, I gave it 3.5 stars. Another just great way to kick off G1 action here in Night 5. But let us move on to match two from Night 5. And this was from B Block. And this was Sonata taking on... Tai Chi. Like immediately the match started with like a tit flexing contest. It's a peck off, man. It's a peck off. I know. Uh, like it's that seemed like it lasted like five minutes. Like they just kept on going at it. And like at the same time, it was hilarious. But like this match in the whole tournament so far felt like it might have been the most evenly matched. Yeah. Like they were just back and forth nobody could get the advantage and it felt that way like through the entire like match every time you'd think somebody had the advantage there would be a counter and it would go the other way it was i enjoyed this match a lot there was that i couldn't even write enough notes for this match one of my notes is literally just huge move after huge move after kick out after kick out because that's what i was saying there was that one spot where they had like multiple one count kickouts yeah. and like they kept on then they like would hit their finisher one count kick out then the other guy would hit their finisher one count kick out it is kind of going for like three or four it was it was nuts and there was also that one spot uh where uh taichi was in the skulling for a really long time and it looked like he was fading and uh so sonata went up to hit the moonsault and Taichi was playing possum and got his knees up and he almost won the match doing that. Like I it's like, yes, I really like that spot because that's what I was hoping was gonna happen. And like you're right, Taichi is definitely like vastly improved. And like I like I really enjoyed this match. I really always enjoy Sonata. Yeah. He's great. But like this match was on fire. Um also the, all the like attacks to the orbital bone because like everybody knows that Sonata has, has eye problems. Yeah. And like, like, and that looked like it was a shoot too. His eye was swollen after the match. And like, yeah, he just attacked that like orbital bone, but it wasn't enough because uh, Sonata ended up like rolling him up. Like after he got punched in the face, he just rolls up Tai Chi and gets the surprise victory. And see, I wrote in my notes too, and that's how you do a roll-up win when like make it like mean something and not be annoying. Like roll-up wins are fine if they work in with what's happening. Like that was a surprise roll-up win. He got punched in the face and just grabbed him and like yeah, it worked. I love this match. Oh yeah, no, I absolutely love this match and yeah, I was just so much that I couldn't even write notes because it was. It was just huge move after huge move. But what am I absolute just, once again, the New Japan commentary is just so many leagues above everybody else. It's not even close. Like, 
They put over what they're supposed to put over. They make these guys feel like bigger stars. And at one point, stats. yeah. And Chris Charlton goes, can you believe at this time, at one point, that Tai Chi was the most hated man in all of New Japan with the entire crowd? Like they can't yell, but you could feel through the speakers the arena shaking because so many people are clapping and stamping their feet. And there's not that many people in there. It was fucking wild. The crowd was so hot for this match. And yeah, the absolute just insane finish where they're both whacking each other. Uh, Sonata misses a move and Tai Chi goes for the like Yokozuna strike and he almost hits it. But Sonata miss or dodges it the last second, rolls him up and bridges into the quick pinfall for the one, two, three at 16 minutes in one second. I thought this match was over 20 minutes because it was so like so many things happened in it, but they did it so quickly in that 16 minutes in one second. Loved every second of it. Sonata gets the victory, his first two points. Tai Chi stays at two points. I gave this match four stars. We've been a quarter star off each other, like every match except for the first one. I gave it. 3.75 stars. It was a great match. I wanted a little bit more. I feel like I really do like the roll-up finish, but like I kind of wanted somebody to like get the definitive win, but maybe we'll get that down the line. But like I wanted a little bit more at the end of this match. Would have bumped it up for a four stars for me. I understand, and I really actually loved that finish. So that's what gave it the four stars. Otherwise, it would have been a three point seven five for me. And I just, I don't know, the like just flurry and the intensity of that last like twenty seconds it really sold me. So, but yeah, we're very close in our ratings tonight. Let's go to match three of night four, the penultimate main event, and this was in A block, the monsters block. Bad luck fall A taking on Jeff Cobb. Yeah, bad luck fall A just punished Jeff Cobb like throughout this whole match. He just beat the living shit out of Jeff Cobb. Like the like the entire time he took him to the outside, just pounded on him, and he even stole his uh surfboard move. Yeah. And he was riding Jeff Cobb's back. Like, I mean that was pretty much the entire match. Jeff Cobb got no offense in. And just got his ass beat until uh, Bad Luck Fall A got tired at the end. <laughs> got caught with the uh, huge vertical suplex. And, he got hit like, with a huge vertical first. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, like, because he was too tired. Like, he yep. beat the shit out of him for as long as he could. And he couldn't do anything anymore. And, like, yeah, he got hit with the suplex and two of the islands. And it was over. Yep. Uh, this is by far the match I have the least amount of lines of notes written for it. I legitimately only have five lines of writing about this match. I have big boys battle. Then I have fall a dominates, fall a tired, huge vertical suplex, followed by a very, very impressive tour of the islands. It was not a like gimme tour of the islands. He full on twisted him forwards before taking him back. Got him all the way around. Big slam. Seven minutes and 13 seconds. Jeff Cobb gets his first points of the tournament. Bad Luck Fall A remains at two. I gave this match two and a half stars. It was there. It was better. It was a good story, but it wasn't a lot of content. How much did you give it? Sorry, I missed that. Two and a half stars. Sorry. All right. Yeah. I, mean, I 
I gave it three stars because it was fun. And I mean, I always knew that Jeff Cobb was going to come out the victor, but like, I liked the way they went about it. Like it makes bad luck fall. feel legitimate. I like the way they always make him feel legitimate, even though he's not the best in ring wrestler, but like when he's in there, you feel like he can beat anybody. So that's why I gave it a three because I did like, I like the story. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I I like your thinking there. I just, you know, don't happen to agree with the rating. I thought it was a little lower. I could have expected. Maybe if I got another three minutes, maybe a little more Jeff Cobb offense, I would have said it. But it was really just a vertical suplex and a tour of the islands from Jeff Cobb. Not that they weren't impressive, but that's all he did. Let's move on to the main event of night. What do we got? Night, night five. And this was from C Block. And this was Tetsuya Naito of Los Ignorables de Japón taking on Go Ace Tanahashi. So, of course, as always, Naito is his cocky, tranquilo self. Right from the beginning, they take this fight to the outside, and Naito puts Tana in a submission, and he basically has this match won by countout, but he decides he doesn't want to win that way, and he throws Tanahashi back in. And then from there on out, Bad call. Naito just kind of like toys with Tanahashi, and like Tanahashi got pissed. Like it seemed like Tanahashi showed up for this match and just like, okay, I'm here for work. And then, like, like <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, it took like a minute or two before like Naito was like messing with him enough till he got pissed off and he got all fired up and then it's like then this match started and it was Tanahashi like started almost acting heelish because like not long after that he uh got uh Naito to the ground and then went to the the second rope and looked like he was gonna do a splash but then he which he always does Naito's injured Neil knee Dude, it was yeah, wild. But, when he did that, I, yeah. I actually popped. I was like, holy shit. And uh, Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly, once again, put it over perfectly that, you know, he might be the ace and everyone might love him, but he's not afraid to go to the dark side if necessary. Um, and oh, it just it felt like he was the heel in this match. Even though he didn't really do too much heelish stuff, it just felt like, I don't know. It felt like Naito was the babyface, even though it probably should be the other way around, character-wise. But I mean, both of them are basically up forever babyfaces at this time. I don't think Naito could ever honestly do anything at this point to really turn the crowd fully against him. He's he's done too much. But then, uh, middle of this match, this match turned into a slugfest with forearms and chops and like he punches. Like they went for like a hot like minute with just like forearms and it's going back and forth uh strong style but sidebar i put this in my node sidebar ding I really i really miss the video game slugfest because that game was badass you could like charge the mound and like <laughs> hit batters and like yeah. you, you're like you go on fire and just like kill like thousand feet home runs and like yeah. Yeah, it was, was like game. nba jams for baseball it was fun it was a fun game yeah, but yeah, this match was all over the place. I had I wrote for the finish. Naito was setting up for the finish, 
And once again, we get a surprise roll-up. And, like, Naito didn't see it coming at all. And Tana gets the win. And Naito's just, like, looking after the match, like, are you fucking serious? Like, did this really just happen? Like, do I really have – am I really starting in the G1 with two losses again? Yeah. Like, his face is like, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, and once again, commentary putting it over greatly that, oh, that's basically a death now. Like, he only has four more matches to go. He can only get eight points. Like, you're, it's that's bad. That's bad, bro. It is bad. I have him winning the C block. So, I don't know. But that was only uh, two points for Tanahashi. Naito doesn't have any points. Um, I don't know what, like, the standings look like exactly right now because I haven't, like, should go back and, like, create it just so I can see it, like, get a visual of it. But, uh, yeah, crazy. Yeah, no, I have uh, I have a fair amount of notes for this match. My thing that I just really want to point out, because you talked about it, most of the things I want to talk about anyways, is Tanahashi's SWAT, which is apparently called the Dragon SWAT. And I've never heard that until this commentary was talking about it. But that left hand kind of like punch SWAT he does, it's apparently called the Dragon SWAT. And I know that wrestling's fake and everything like that but fucking a man that thing looks like it hurts so bad every time and we're gonna talk about it uh from the next night i'm pretty sure another guy juice robinson those left hands like the guys who throw these like left hand haymakers they don't look like they're pulling them at all like you can see the guy's face like contort from the hit like if you slow it down in slow motion their chins move i love the left hand from god though yeah, I did too. God. Sorry. Um, uh, I also had, it was great that they called back to Tana's almost loss to the jackknife pin because Naito has dominated uh, Tanahashi in their recent contest in the G1. I think he was like three and one, and he's won the last three. And then this match ends in a roll-up, just like it was last time, but the rolls are reversed. And yeah, at the end of the match, Naito's just defeated face and just almost like, not even like upsetness, just confusion. A little bit of it, like, how the fuck is this happening to me again? Like, what is going on? <laughs> it's um, his own fault because, like, he had this match won early on, oh, and yeah. like he got cocky. It's what he does. Yeah, got a, his tranquilo nature doesn't always result in wins. Match went twenty-two minutes and twenty-two seconds. I gave this match three point seven five stars. Because I've seen them do better. This is one of those matches that I graded on a heavy curve. I also gave it 3.75 stars. Thought it was a really good match, but it wasn't great. And But I think this was the perfect match for them at this point of the tournament. And the story it told with the Naito stuff like really left a good taste in my mouth for the entire night. And... I immediately went into night six right after that because I had two nights to catch up on. So I was excited to continue watching some more wrestling. Yeah, I I think night five, as you stated at the beginning, might have been just the best night of overall content of the G1, like action. All four of the matches all felt important and all four of them like delivered in their own way. Like, yeah. even with the Jeff Cobb Bad Luck Fale match going so short, it still felt important and it still was awesome. So, 
And I'm sorry, everyone. There's no way I'm going to be able to cut out my daughter for this whole thing. She's just finding her voice, and there's no quieting her. So everyone, you're just going to deal with it. That's what it is. There is not a dying chicken in my house. That is my daughter. Like I know what you're going through, and it doesn't phase me one bit. Yeah, hopefully the listeners will find it adorable and not obnoxious. I just don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to night six of the G1. And there's Zeus talking up as well. Just, you know, why don't we get the whole damn menagerie going? Night six started out with some B-block action. And this was the crown jewel, Chase Owens, taking on the Great Ocon. This match started with, for the bell, Chase Owens throws powder in Great Ocon's face and blinds him and takes control early because Great Ocon cannot see. And, like, they, they put that over, like, heavily uh, <laughs> commentary, like, we don't understand. Like, that's one thing. I think they went too heavy on the powder. Like, we get it. Yeah, you get what that that spot means, but uh, yeah, like that was a good way to start the match because didn't he do the same thing earlier when they say that in commentary? Um, that he did the same thing to Great Ocon like last year or in tag leagues or something like that. They did do it to uh, him in tag leagues, yeah, it was a good way to start the match, but after uh, Great Ocon could see again. Uh, he really started taking it to Chase Owens and giving him his payback and some big, big blows. And yeah, what else are on my notes? Uh, there was a spot where Chase Owens almost had the win, but the referee caught his feet on the ropes. And this match. This match was only okay, in my opinion. Uh, the finish saw Chase Owens slingshot the rope into the throat of Great Ocon, hit a C-trigger, followed by a package pile driver for the win. I did enjoy that part of the match. It was Chase Owens' first match or first win of the tournament. I think it was his second match. He's the two points, and Great Ocon. Uh, it was his first match of the tournament, and that brought him to zero points because he lost, and that's the way it works. If you don't know the rules of the G1, by now, I don't know why you're listening to us. So to Chad with his thoughts on this match. Uh, thank you, Diesel, for doing that. That was quite impressive. And my thoughts on this match are that it was there. It was, I once again state that if I was a pro wrestler, I would be Chase Owens because I would definitely go with the powder spot and just try and win this right away. And then this match only lasted 11 minutes and 58 seconds. Some more shenanigans. The finish, though. I like the finish, the C trigger into the package pile driver. I love the C trigger and First I love was, the package pile driver. He slingshotted the rope into his throat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's, you know, got to take every advantage. He's Chase Owens. So uh, I gave this match three stars. I thought it was okay. Wow. I actually, I think this is a little bit lower than you. I went 2.75. I think it needed a little more. I think it came down to the finish. I just really liked the way he finished him off. And I liked the shenanigans at the beginning. 
The stuff in the middle was just okay. Yeah. I I won't lie. This night of G1 action, I wasn't very happy for the first few matches. I was actually kind of... I um, The next match... Oh, we'll talk about it. Let's go to the next match. Yeah, let's go to the next match. Great segue, as always, Diesel. C-Block action next. And this was Kenta of Bullet Club taking on Evil of the House of Torture. Also Bullet Club, technically. I... I like the beginning of this match where they were playing mind games with each other or evil was trying to get him Kenta to shake his hand. And when he did, it was setting up for his finisher. And then they were going to do the two sweet. And then Kenta went to put him in the go to sleep. Um, I did like the beginning of that. Uh, I also like the spot, like almost immediately uh, when Kenta climbs outside of the ring and goes underneath the ring and, uh, uh, Kevin Kelly asks, like, what's he doing under there? And Chris Charlton says he's probably looking for his book under the ring. And then he actually came out with his book. He did. And, like, it popped him because he's like, I was not even smart enough to that before this. <laughs> I thought it was really funny that uh, they were bringing his book and, like, basically they were saying he was Yano without being Yano because he was promoting his book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, then the after that, like, like Dick Togo got involved for like a minute. I think he took his book away from him. And he uh Evil tried to hit Kenta with the bell, but when he went to like hit the bell or hit him with the bell, Kenta picked up the hammer and then rung the bell like in his face, which I thought was a cool spot. And then basically Evil like freaked out and like took out the timekeeper, pushed Kenta over the table, and like, yeah, he yeah, he got hit pretty hard right there. Yeah. Um and then this is probably my favorite part of the whole match. It turned into an impromptu I quit match, which <laughs> I thought was actually kind of funny. I didn't see it coming. Nope. Uh, I'm glad you didn't quit, though. Uh, there was the ref spot where the ref went down, and uh, Evil and Dick Togo hit the Magic Killer, which turned into the, another Eddie Guerrero spot with... Uh, well, was it the wrench again? It was yeah, once it was again the wrench. The wrench, the wrench is also very... It's all about the G1 this year. Show's whole involvement Kenta, is wrench. Kenta, like, tried to act like he got hit with the wrench. But then the lights went out. And, like, everyone was all confused. And, like, pretty quickly, uh, they ended up fighting on the outside of the ring. And... They were both, they were both like teasing going in the ring and then like rolling back out. And Evil rolls in at 18, and Kenta goes to roll in, but then uh, Dick Togo is underneath the ring holding Fucking Kenta's Dick feet, Togo. and Kenta can't get in, and then he loses by count out, and then Kenta turned into like a mark and was like okay with it at the end. I didn't like that at the end. When he was okay with them beating him that way, he should have been pissed and be like, you guys are a real bull club anyways. And then hitting them both with go to sleep and walking out of there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're definitely headed towards a bullet club versus torture, uh, house of torture feud here in the near future. Like that's definitely our next split because it's gotten too, it's gotten too different. 
And uh, this match, literally my only notes I have for this. In order, Too Sweet and Book Shenanigans to start, followed by Bell Spot. Shenanigans, shenanigans, shenanigans abound. Lights Out Spot, Chair Duel, Shenanigans, Dick Togo, fuck you. Evil wins. 10 minutes, 13 seconds. Gets his first points of the tournament. Kenta stays at zero. 2.25 stars. Not my cup of tea this time. I just, I was expecting and hoping for an actual match between these two. I gave it, I like shenanigans. So I rated it way higher than you did. I gave it 3.5 stars, but I also wrote next to it, weird, not sure how I feel. Yeah, because I, I it felt it felt dirty. Like it definitely gave me a weird feeling after it. But I like shenanigans. But like I did feel weird about it at the end. I just didn't need this many shenanigans. I you know I like shenanigans, but when my all my notes involve shenanigans in some way, like it was too much. Too much shenanigans. I I enjoyed the shenanigans. So Next person who says shenanigans is getting pistol whipped. But the next match Let's talk about that, bitch. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on to it. And you totally missed my Super Troopers reference. And I'm oh, I heard sick. you. I <laughs> Just heard didn't you. care. Hey, Farva, what's that uh, restaurant with the weird shit on the wall? You mean shenanigans? Thank you. I feel much better now. All right. All Super right. Troopers enough that I know what you're talking about. We're moving on. Match three of uh, night six action. And once again, we've at this point only had 20 minutes of actual pro wrestling for G1 action in these first two matches. They were both real short, which I thought was really weird. And this third match keeps the trend going because we have Lance Archer, everyone must die, everyone will die, and that's just a fact, taking on filthy Tom Lawler in A block action, the monster's block. My first thought was, like, it's been a while since I've seen Tom Waller wrestle. And, like, this was back when he was in MLW. And he's definitely uh, changed his appearance a little bit. And I don't know. It just, it's weird, but it's not weird. Like, I don't watch, I haven't watched New Japan Strong at all. So, like, I know he's been wrestling on there. But, like, it's been a while since I've seen him wrestle. But I'm still excited. Like, I just wasn't expecting the jean short uh trunks but i was thinking that he would make a perfect tag team partner for orange cassidy because they already had matching attire yeah but, that would uh, work okay. um but other than that i didn't write too much about this match because right away archer overpowered uh tom lawler um then lawler kind of started to wrestle archer but the whole time he just kept on getting overpowered and eventually he got hit by he got hit with the blackout and Lance Archer won this match. I I wasn't a big fan of this match. Yeah, I this match was quite disappointing. I saw Tom Filthy Tom Lawler wrestle at Hero Wrestling on Forbidden Door weekend when I was in Chicago with all the guys. But He's a good wrestler, but this match, yeah, it didn't really do it for me. There was some cool enough spots, and Lance Archer and Tom Lawler are good enough that it made sense. The match only lasted for 11 minutes and 50 seconds, so once again, under 12 minutes, which means 
the first three of these matches didn't last 12 minutes it felt longer than that though it did it dragged really bad there was the front chancery spot where tom was just like hanging on him i felt either lance archer was on offense and beating the crap out of filthy tom lawler or tom lawler was hanging on him like a monkey there was only two things that happened in this whole match and then we had the blackout for the end uh archer gets his first two points in the tournament lawler loses his first match and i gave it three stars though because it was it was there and i didn't hate it i gave it 2.25 stars because i thought it was boring i wrote boring right next to my star rating so yeah i didn't like this match that much so we're we're definitely on different pages than this night for sure but all over the place like the things you liked i didn't really like the things i liked you didn't really like it's it's weird yeah we we're the first two nights we were pretty much on the same page we we're just like a little little off but this well, one but, we're all over the place well i'm very excited then to see what you thought about this main event of night six because in d block action we had Rockard juice robinson taking on david finley Yes, so I didn't write too many notes on this match just because, I don't know, it felt more than just like a G1 match. The former tag team partners and Juice Robinson has been an asshole and David Finley just kind of seems like he's pissed off at the world right now. And But um, I immediately, like this match went to the outside and Juice Robinson just started targeting uh, his shoulder. And that was, like, his theme throughout this entire match was just, like, target that injured shoulder that he just had surgically repaired and they kept on putting over on commentary. Like, surgeons can fix the problem, but you'll never be 100%. And they start bringing up uh, Juice's left hand when he had it, when it was broke a couple years ago. And that even came into play when uh, David Finley stomped it. But, I mean, it didn't really do much because later on in the match, he still hit uh, left-handed God. Um, And this match was – it felt – you could feel the emotion in this match. They did a good job because they are really friends in real life. And, like, you could feel that. And, like – but they felt like they hated each other right now. And, like, I don't know. It just – it had that feel to it. It was different than the other three matches – in uh this entire night but i felt like this night had a weird like stain on it that it even kind of brought this match down just a tad bit um but that being said i really did like it i i was expecting juice robinson to get the win because we talked about last week david finley's first g1 a lot of times you don't win very much in the g1 um they brought up in commentary that he beat Last year, he beat um, um, Jay White in the New Japan Cup, and it was like a similar situation. So I kind of like also thought like they weren't going to have him win again. But no, to my surprise, Finley hit Juice with a shillelagh, a heel move. And then... Well, first, Juice blocked it with the belt. Yeah, he did that. But he still then he got the shot in. And then uh, he hit him with his finisher. I don't know what it's called. It's called the Trash Panda. The what? Trash Panda. Yeah, that is what it's called. And then uh, he got the win, and I didn't think that he was going to – coming into this match, I didn't think that Dave Finley was going to win, so I was pleasantly surprised. I wasn't mad about it. 
I absolutely fucking love this match. This, from this point in the tournament, I think has been the best match by far in the tournament. And I will tell you right now, it receives my highest rating that I've given to any match in the tournament so far. I thought from beginning to end, you were 100% right that this match did not feel like a G1 match. This felt like a blood feud. And that's what really sent it over for me. All of these huge matches, the crowd just once again, just being so behind David Finley and bringing him back to life at points. I mean, he kicked out of Pulp Friction. Uh, there was, as I said, you said, the belt and shillelagh spot. We had the juice goes for the uh, assisted Pulp Friction where Kevin Kelly is literally like, you're going to kill the kid, where he had him up on the top rope and he was just going to drop him face first onto the mat. And he reversed that into that stunner and then into like a rope-assisted stunner. And then Juice kicked out of that at the last second. There were so many great near falls and big moves. And just then that end, yeah. With that, him blocking the shillelagh the first time and then like looking at it like, oh my God, that actually worked. And then just getting clocked with it before he goes for the pin and then picks him up at two and then picks him up and hits the trash panda instead of just, you know, he actually hit him with his own move to finish him. It just felt great. David Finley got his win. It's probably going to be his only win in the G1 if I were to, you know, take any future bets on this. But it was a win he deserved. I loved it. 4.25 stars. Uh, 24 minutes in one second. I gave it. See, we're all over the place on this one. I only gave it 3.75 because, like I said, like this night, it just felt weird. This match didn't feel in place for this night because I felt like overall it was a pretty crappy night. Um, you you have those in the G one, but like this, I don't know. This was a very good match, three point seven five. But also, Juice doesn't have the uh, IWGP United States Championship anymore because David Finley took it with him when yep. he walked out. And David Finley's next match is against Will Osprey, so I have a feeling Will Osprey is finally going to get his belt. I think you might be onto something there, Sherlock. I think you might. <laughs> Definitely the worst night of the G1 so far, but as I said, I just really love that main event. Speaking right. of Will Ospreay. Speaking of Will Ospreay, let's move on to night seven. The most current night of the G1 at time of recording occurred this morning. So night seven kicks off with D-block action, and this was, once again, the Tokyo Pimp, Competing in his already third match of the G1, which means he's halfway done against good old Billy the Goat, a.k.a. Will Ospreay. Yeah, uh, I, this match, before anything even happened, Yujiro entered by himself and he looked bummed out. Like, he just he looked so sad. And then he gets down to the ring and all of a sudden, here comes Peter. And she comes down to the ring and they look at each other and they make up and they hug. Yep. And like this, this right away, like energized Yujiro. He was ready for the match. And I even put in my uh, notes, Yujiro showed up today and Osprey seems off of his game. Like Osprey came into this match. Oh, it's just, just the Tokyo pimp. Like I'm going to come in there. We'll win it in like three minutes, walk out. It's going to be a good day. No, it didn't work out that way because, uh, Yujiro was like pretty on the offensive in this yeah. match. This has been his best match of the tournament so far. And like 
I've been pleasantly surprised with Yujiro because the last couple G1s I've watched with him in it, he kind of seems like he just kind of phones it in. This one, he actually seems like he's been trying. And this match was awesome. I didn't write too many notes. And I felt like this whole night, these matches were pretty straightforward in a weird way. Like, they all did the same thing. Like, uh, guy got beat down. uh, Then the other guy won, except for one of the matches. The next match didn't work that way. But, uh, like, Osprey took a beating and eventually just, yeah. uh, The finish was... Like he tried to hit the big uh, juice for the second time, and it got blocked. And Yujiro went for big juice, they got blocked. And then uh, Osprey hit the hidden blade one, two, three. Solid match. Like, I had fun with this match. I thought Yujiro impressed. I'm gonna, even before you say your notes, I'm gonna give my rating because I I like this match enough to do that. Maybe a 3.5 stars. Hey, look, we're back on the same page because for I'll give you my notes, I did give it a 3.5 stars as well. Uh, this match had a lot of fun spots in it. I think the biggest things, I do agree, the Peter coming back out really seemed to energize Yujiro. I mean, he did an orbital, D- or orbital DDT to Osprey at one point. And yeah, I know that's a lot on Osprey as well for helping guide him around. But still, I haven't seen Yujiro do that move, I don't think ever, or at least as long as I've been watching him. And then there was a couple near falls in this match where I, honest to God, thought Yujiro was going to get the victory. And I was like, well, this is the G1 shocker of the year. Because I, no way in hell, like, if you asked me, gun to my head, what was one match I'd be sure of in the G1? Will Ospreay beating Yujiro Takahashi would have been, all right, I'll put my life on the line for that one. And there were multiple times in this match where I went, fuck, I'd have been dead. I would have been killed. But yeah. I thought the finish was great. The just near falls and then the hidden blade is a great little finisher. Once again, I love how in New Japan Pro Wrestling, everyone has, if you're a main eventer or if you're just on the G1, you seem to have at least two to four finishing moves where it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, that one didn't work. I got another one. Oh, that one didn't work. Well, I got another one. Oh, that one didn't work. Well, I have a pin or a submission hold that will. Like they're all like so deep into pro wrestling that. You just never know what the finish is going to be. And yeah, 3.5 stars. Billy the Goat goes to four points, and Yujiro stays at two points. Match two of night seven was from A block, the Monsters block. And this was Bad Luck Fale taking on Yano. And shenanigans, shenanigans abound. Shenanigans, shenanigans. This matchup always... Like, you need the shenanigans in this matchup. And I love these two when they face each other. Yano still kind of had a little bit of a mean streak, but he wasn't, like, totally his uh, Okada, like, mean streak self. But, like, I really like – like, he tried at the beginning. He really tried to take uh, Foley down. Like, he tried with all those shoulder blocks and clotheslines. And every time he did, like, Foley would just knock him down. And so then he just got frustrated and went outside and grabbed a chair and just said, come give me, <laughs> come and give me and try to get him to like win by count out. Another count out, baby. Just sitting there. I, I, I don't know. For something so stupid, like then Fale went out and got a chair and he was just sitting in the ring. He's like, no, he's like, I'm not stupid. Like, if you want to sit out there, I'll just sit in here and I'll win this match. I, I don't know why. For something so stupid, I really liked it. 
because Yano was just sitting there yelling at him. I don't speak Japanese, but I knew exactly what he was saying. And like, <laughs> like, come on. He's like, what are you waiting for? Like, yeah. Uh, like, and then he waits till 19 to roll back into the ring. And then it looks like Fale is going to get him. But once again, Yano drop toe holds him, schoolboy. And I thought the match was going to be over right there in that like first little three minute stretch, but it wasn't. Yeah, and then there was uh, the spot where then Yano slapped Fale in the back of the head. And, like, his head, you can see the sweat just, like, yeah. like it was like a mushroom cloud off of his head. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I don't remember what night it was. It wasn't this night. I think it might have been night six, night five maybe. But uh, Kevin Kelly said, it's so hot in here. I'm sweating like an indie guy trying to write a check. <laughs> I don't oh, remember that line. line. That's great. <laughs> but uh yeah, uh like the mushroom cloud off of Fale's head and which like pissed him off, but then it drew him in where Yano had like a water bottle of nobody knows what it was and sprayed uh bad luck Fale in the face, but that didn't matter because uh even after getting low blowed from behind, like immediately <laughs> Look, Paul, he just rolls him up and gets the win. Yeah, like, he got kicked in the dick and just like, no, we're not playing this. It just rolls him up. <laughs> Dude, it's over. Bad Luck Fale has an iron dick. Everyone knows that. You can't low blow yeah. Bad Luck Fale. He has an iron dick. So I I thought this match was a lot of fun. Like I didn't give it a high rating because it wasn't like a great match, but it it was very entertaining. Yeah. I oh once again I don't have times for this match because the time of recording. As I said, this pay-per-view just uh, concluded so they don't even have them up on newjapan.com and i didn't time it myself so i'm sorry but yes i also didn't rate this match very highly 2.5 stars but i gave it i mean i gave it 3.5 just because it was it was fun i had fun watching this i really liked this the trying to get him to count out like fall a wasn't a dumbass or something like that yeah. like he's the ring general or no, yeah. that's, that's Walter. the rogue general wow. he's the rogue general He's not dumb. Nope. He's just a big boy. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to match three of night seven. And this was from C Block. And this was Aaron Hanare of the United Empire taking on Goto of Chaos. Um, at this point, I just decided to uh, not write any more notes. I don't know why. But, like, this match, this match was, like, a hard, heavy-hitting match. And I think Chris Charlton ruined it for me at the beginning by him saying, like, this is going to be the match of the tournament because I didn't have high hopes of it being the match of the tournament because I'm not a big Goto fan. But, like, I, it gave me a higher expectation because I respect his opinion until now. And, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But, like, I, I don't know. This match... It was like heavy hitting and there's a lot of big power moves. And like, they, I like how they explain their commentary. Like it doesn't benefit them to go to the floor because that's neither of their style. And this isn't a grudge match and all that stuff. It was, it was fine. I have the only thing I wrote was Goto wins with the GTR. And also Goto is, has four points in two matches, which is, Kind of like surprising. I like how they put that over on commentary, like yeah. how surprising that is. Yeah, definitely did not have uh, Goto winning uh, both of his matches for sure. Uh, for this match, 
I have just like short notes on it because it was it was just a heavy hitting affair. I have once again Hanare just dominating through most of the, most of the match though, where he's always like in his few first few matches of this G one. He's been in the lead in the matches. Like if it went to a judge's decision, which I know it doesn't in the G one, he would win every match so far because he has been in control for most of his matches with just his pure striking. And this match, this felt the most pro wrestling of matches on the card to me because Goto only seemed to come back and win this match because of the crowd, where it felt like that he was Tinkerbell in Peter Pan, where if you don't believe and clap hard enough, then he's going to die. And the crowd believed and clapped loud enough, so he didn't. And he won the match because by all grades of this match, there's no way he should have. Hanare should have gotten this point. these points, I feel like. I felt the match was a lot of fun. It was like heavy hitting, so I can't grade it too low. But I feel like there was a better match, and if Hanare would have won, I would have graded it much higher. Uh, I gave it 3.75 stars. I gave it 3.25 stars. I agree. I feel like... Like the story that they're telling with Hanare, and especially after coming to uh, United Empire, I don't know. It just feels like this is one of the first like missteps in like who should have won a match. I feel in the whole tournament, I just feel like because like they're putting over in commentary like how much of a beast Hanare is, and especially since changing his name to Aaron Hanare and how the United Empire has really changed his outlook on wrestling. He's not the same guy he was before and everything like that. Like, I don't know. I feel like he almost needed this win. It kind of, like, undermines everything that they were saying in commentary and, like, almost a waste of breath, like, with all the hard work that they're doing to get Aaron Hanare over. Yeah, no, I just – I just said uh... – I really thought Hanari should have won. I thought it was a good match, though. I probably would have ranked it a four-star match if uh, Hanari would have gone over. Too, if Hanari would have got the win as well. Uh, but yeah, Hanari stays at two points. Goto is now at four. Let's move on, though, to the main event of Night 7. And this was B-Block action. And this was the good bad guy, Tama Tonga, taking on the Stone Pitbull, Tamahiro Ishii. Yeah, once again, I didn't really write notes for this one. I just yeah. decided not to. I should have because for some reason this is the foggiest one in my brain. Um, yeah, you might as well. If you remember it better than me, you might as well talk about it. It might jog my memory. I have the finish, but that's yeah. really all I got. Oh, yeah. I, I thought this match, you brought it up earlier, and now I don't remember what match you said it before, but I agreed with you. Oh, the Sonata-Tai uh, Chi match where this felt there was one of the most even matches. This is one of those matches where... I felt the action was awesome because it was counter blow, counter blow, counter blow. It was both of them like shooting their shot. Tamahiro Ishii couldn't get uh, the advantage. Tamatonga couldn't get the advantage. They were just firing back and gun forth. Stun. Yeah, gun stun. Like he couldn't hit the gun stun. Hits a Tongan twist. He hits every one of his other finishers. And then once again, though, he hits that rolling Death Valley driver into the supreme flow which is just, you know, him taking Tanahashi's finisher because he's joined Chaos and he's the good bad guy. And that was one of the closest two counts in the match. Got really jacked for that. You know I love Tamatanga. I love this match. I actually thought he was going to win right there. I thought that was really close. Yeah. No, I definitely thought the match was going to be over. There was a huge superplex from Ishii for a two count as well. This is, I thought, 
Definitely Ishii's best match so far this G1. I felt Ishii's looked a little slow, a little old in his other matches so far. This match, I actually thought that this was the Ishii of old. And I don't know if it's because Tamatanga just moves so fast that even any quick movement from Ishii just by relativity kind of looks a little bit faster. I don't know. But whatever. I love this match. Also, I have to say right at the beginning, either Tamatanga is ordering smaller shirts or the dude is just fucking jacked now. And the answer is the latter. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, when he ripped off his like top or whatever, he is jacked. Yeah. Didn't see it coming, really. I don't know why I didn't see it coming because he does look good. He looks better than he did a couple years ago. Um, yeah, this match, like, it was a good match. You're right. Um, it was pretty evenly matched and like all the counters and everything like that. Um, I do like that Ishii won with the Brain Buster. Um, I gave the it a TKOs against each other, both of them trading TKOs for two counts, but Tomatonga just couldn't hit the gun stun. Nope. Um, that's been his issue since he's become the good bad guy. Yeah. Like he's been having issues putting people away. Um, but I gave it a 3.5 stars. Thought it was a good match. Still thought it could have been better. See, I absolutely love this match. And once again, I was watching this at three in the morning, basically live. I think I was only about 10 minutes behind the actual live broadcast from watching this because Cooper decided she wanted to get up real early today. So I've been up for a very long time. So I was like, whatever, I'll watch a G1 action. I'm awake. And it could just be my tiredness, but I absolutely love this match, and I'm a huge Tamatanga mark. Four stars. Okay. Uh, and this brings Tamatanga to two points and keeps Ishii at two points as well. I'm sure everyone's wondering, like, how we're doing with our picks. And uh, after last week, I was five and seven. But I had a really good uh, four nights here, and I went 15 and three, and it brings my total up to 18 and 10. I last week was at some score. I was doing pretty well, and I once again did pretty well, not terrible. And I am also at 18 and 10 currently, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good about my picks. There's a couple of them that I got wrong that if I would have looked at the date that the match was occurring, I probably would have gotten it right. And if I would have thought more than five seconds about some of my picks, I probably also would have got those right. But that's not how I make picks in these kind of brackets. And it's just for fun anyways. But I bet you're wondering what we're talking about next. So, segue! Is that me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if we were going to, like, cut or something like that. If you had to do something. That we can keep going. Go on. No, no, we can keep going. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Roll on through, Big Diesel. All right, next, we are talking about probably, I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it, it's probably my favorite show of 2022 overall. And I'm talking about Death Before Dishonor 2022, uh, Ring of Honor, and what a pretty decent start the Tony Khan era of Ring of Honor has been with the last pay-per-view, which was Super Card of Honor. And now this one, they've had some really good shows. Um, it doesn't 100% feel like Ring of Honor to me, but at the same time, it doesn't not feel like Ring of Honor to me. 
And before we even talk about any of the matches, it was a Ring of Honor crowd. This crowd was on fire the whole night. Oh, and yeah. They were losing their Lowell, fucking Massachusetts, minds. Yeah. That is a Ring of Honor town. And I hope that they keep on having the shows in these smaller towns, like Ring of Honor like is famous going to and stuff like that, because that's where the real fans are. And, like, yeah, this was a Ring of Honor crowd. And, yeah. So I didn't watch the pre-show. I don't know about you. No, I didn't watch pre-show. I mean, there was a Ring whole bunch of matches, really... though, I saw. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can go through it real fast. You want it was Colt Cabana defeated Anthony Henry uh, by pinfall. Uh, that match went 10 minutes. Uh, the Trust Brothers, which is Ari Davari um, and Slim J. I don't know who Slim J is. Um, defeated the Shinobi Shadow Squad, which is Cheeseburger and Eli Isom, which is a classic Ring of Honor tag team. That it we is. have the Embassy, because if you didn't know, Kelly Blanchard is out with uh, Ring of Honor, so it's no longer the Blanchard whatever they were called. Uh, Prince Nana is back, which is, he's a Ring of Honor original. He... Uh, is bringing back his old faction, the embassy. He bought out the whatever Tully Blanchard Enterprises or whatever it was called. And the embassy, which consisted of Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony, which are, is Jasper Khan and Toa Leona, they defeated Alex Zane, Blake Christian, and Tony Deppin by pinfall in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. And finally, the last pre-show match was Willen Nightingale defeating Allison K by pinfall in seven minutes and 50 seconds. And I like Willow Nightingale from what I've seen of her in the last like few months since she's been on my radar. And I've always been a big fan of Allison K. And I even got a photo with her one time. And I yelled pinkies up across the room at Starcast, and she did it. So that was uh, pretty badass. Now we are going to move into the main card, and right away, before we even do that, I want to just say like how much I like enjoy Ring of Honor's commentary team, just like uh, enjoy New Japan's commentary team. I think that Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman make a good team together. Priest Coleman, like I stated before, isn't the best commentator, but he's fun to listen to. And like, he's over the top at times, like his, like throughout the whole show talking about like how people have only kicked out of this finisher, like a handful of times <laughs> he keeps on bringing it up and how much he's promoting ring of honor being the most athletic and best wrestling promotion in the world. Like, you got to love Caprice Coleman. Like, hey, man, he, he is for the company. He's not fucking around. That's what I'm saying. Like, I totally mad respect for all of that. And, like, I, I really enjoy them together. And we get to start out with which was the first of the double main events, which main events in wrestling are weird. But it was the Ring of Honor uh, World Championship match which was champion Jonathan Gresham taking on Claudio Castagnoli with William Regal by his side. And we got William Regal on commentary twice 
which was really awesome. And I like uh, in the later match, he was talking about uh, things he shouldn't have been talking about. Yep. <laughs> Giving up strategies and stuff like that. Uh, William Regal's great. Um, He's the best. This match, Daddy this Regal. match was awesome. Uh, what? Nothing. <laughs> uh, this match was awesome. Claudio Castagnoli uh, right away starting with the uppercut and like trying to win it early. Um, Gresham knowing the Gresham. counter right away because he's he's the foundation man. I love me some yeah. Jonathan Gresham. I, I do as well. Jonathan Gresham uh, right away working over the knee, so uh, Claudio couldn't like effectively do the sharpshooter. And even though the before he worked over the knee, he took a like giant swing. That had to be like twenty plus revolutions. Yeah. Like, that was, I was that quite was jealous. Swing. I wanted to see a big swing at friggin' Forbidden Door, but I didn't get to see one because he didn't do it right away in the match. So Zack Sabre Jr. had already worked over his knee. So I was very upset. I was very sad. Yeah. Um, but after like working over his knee, uh, Gresham started doing what he always does and starts uh, getting in the... The submissions he got him in the ankle lock and got him in the octopus, but it wasn't enough because uh Claudio Castagnoli hit the Ricola bomb. Ricola became the new Ring of Honor world champion. And this is a very divisive thing because a lot of people are upset with Tony Khan for pushing like former WWE guys, but in this case, I don't see how you could argue it because Claudio Castagnoli was a member of Ring of Honor for many, many years, had a few shots at the title and came up short a couple times. Like in the history of Ring of Honor, he's actually a pretty important part. So to say that he didn't qualify or didn't like earn his spot to face Jonathan Gresham, for this match and be champion, I say you are wrong, sir. He like I don't like to throw this term around a lot in wrestling. I think it like everyone uses it too much, but like he, if anybody deserved it, Claudio Castagnoli deserved the Ring of Honor championship, and I'm happy for him. And I I get uh, Jonathan Gresham and him being upset and he wanted him to go, and like I also applaud him for that as well. He's betting on himself and. There might not be a place for him in AEW Ring of Honor right now. So, like, I think that they should let him go, maybe even test the waters of WWE or go to New Japan or, like, do something else, you know? Like, like I feel like he probably isn't a good fit with what they got going on right now. But I don't think blaming Tony Khan for going for WWE guys or pushing WWE guys, like, really applies in this scenario. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed this match. I thought I was a lot of me was hoping that Jonathan Gresham would get the win, the really surprise victory. I know there was no way in hell it was going to happen. Like I knew Claudio and he don't get me wrong, deserved the win completely. Like he was a Ring of Honor guy. He had shots at it. He was like a major piece of Ring of Honor when it was in one of its like heydays when Ring of Honor had some of the best pro wrestling of all time. The kings of pro wrestling, Chris Hero and Claudio, just one of the best tag teams together. He had a great feud. I'm pretty sure with Kevin Steen over the belt. Like he was great in Ring of Honor. Deserved this shot. 
him winning his face uh, after winning the belt was just one of pure joy. And you could just feel the happiness coming from him. And William Regal on commentary just going, it's a great night for the Blackpool Combat Club. And then just, he's so fucking regal. Like, I just, I love William Regal. And I mean regal, not in his last name, but just regal as in the term regal, because he's the best. I love him. Like, one of my favorite things is, like, after the match, too, yeah, when Claudio's trying to put on the belt, you can see Regal say to him, like, I will do that for you. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. It it was a really, really good moment. I I thought it was, like, I feel like this was the match that should have started out this card. Because yeah. I feel like the main event was what it should have been. And I like that it was sandwiched with these two matches. And I know it's like the naturalist of like will be like, no, oh, the championship has to go on last. I think the biggest match has to go on last. And like, I think the second biggest match is the opener. So I think they did this right. I think they did it right. Even with the title change and everything, I think they did it right. And also with a bunch of new people, like, cause this was the highest buy rate of a ring of honor pay-per-view of all time because it's piggybacking off AEW. But, I mean, still, there's a lot of people that have never seen a Ring of Honor pay-per-view. And to have a big title match and title change hands right away, that's going to get people talking and people interested. I, I liked it. I think this match was probably a four-star match. Yeah, I, I rated it a four-star match. The next match was... I also enjoyed this match. It was for the six-man tag team titles. And it was the Righteous, who are the champions, defending against Thalton Castle and the boys. And I guess it's uh, the boys are Brandon Tate and Brent Tate. They have names now. They're not boy one and boy two anymore. Aww. Uh, I still I still can't tell them apart. But They have different haircuts, but I don't know which one is which. I know. I don't know which one's which. Um, the only thing that bums me out about their presentation is they changed Dalton Castle's song. His song he has now is okay, but it's not as good as his old song. No. It's like it just doesn't feel right seeing him come out with the boys and to this song, it just doesn't work. But still, I love like I love Face Dalton Castle with the boys. I love the peacock. It's yeah, it this match was a lot of fun. Um I, I was kind of expecting the righteous to retain, but they didn't. They didn't. Uh, Dalton Castle and the boys won this match. I am very happy with that because I want to see Dalton Castle stick around. So I'm glad he's still a part of Ring of Honor. This match, 3.25 stars. That was exactly what I rated as well. I gave it. It was it was common fare for a six-man tag. This was as about as basic as a six-man tag comes, but the boy toss segment where he just kept throwing the boys yeah. and Caprice Coleman putting over. Where are all these boys coming from? I thought there was only two. Like it was over the top and it probably went on for too long, but I still, I marked out for it. I thought it was great. I, I enjoyed it. And then, yeah, the bangerang finish, I did not see it coming because I definitely thought that what are they called? The righteous were going to get the victory here. It felt like, yeah, you can't have two title changes right away, but I was wrong. You mean like these felt like ring of honor matches like yeah. the presentation's a little different like you don't get the streamers the ring apron isn't like the the tin or aluminum ring of honor signs but like these matches like 
they felt like Ring of Honor. And like, that's what I like. And it felt like it all the way through. It didn't feel like an AEW show, even though I had the AEW presentation. Yeah. That's I, would agree I with like that. that. Yeah. Um, the next match, this match, like, obviously the match of the night's the main event. We're going to get that out of the way. But like, there's like three matches on this card that you could be like, deserve the match of the night. And this is one of them. And it was Wheeler Yuta versus Daniel Garcia for the Pure Wrestling Championship. And we got William Regal on commentary again. And I really love all the props that William Regal was giving to Daniel Garcia, even though he's not part of the Blackpool yeah. Combat Club. And he explained why he's not part of the Blackpool Combat Club, because you can't have all the best. Because if you have all the best, you can't go up against the best. And how can you be the best? And, like, William Regal, like, just being on commentary, those two matches were was great. And him giving away, <laughs> like, secrets of training and stuff like that. Yeah. Hilarious. I was laughing. But, oh, uh, freaking William Regal. The best. And then, like, I really like Daniel Garcia. Like, part of me wishes that Daniel Garcia was in the Blackpool Combat Club rather than the Jericho yeah, yeah. Appreciation Society because he's, like, he sticks out like a sore thumb in that group. Like, yeah, he is not sports entertainment, but like, I still I like him in that group. I like that. Uh, I also like that they wear the Triple H hats. Um, but <laughs> like, I also like that he was wearing the maroon uh, tights and like he was like doing the Regal stretch and like yep. doing Regal's moves and like this match is badass and like how. Like how William Regal is putting over that, like he'll be very upset with Wheeler Yuta if he uses a rope break. And like there was only one rope break in this entire match uh, by Daniel Garcia. But uh, this was when he locked in the Lion Tamer slash Boston Crab. Yeah, yeah. This match was badass. Uh, Daniel Garcia, or no, uh, Wheeler Yuta came out on top, uh, won by pinfall. How do you win? Uh, once again, a mousetrap style pin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it worked. It was another one of those kind of pins that worked, and it felt like that's how he should have won. And, yeah, uh, this, like, I thought Wheeler Yuta was very underwhelming in the best of the Super Juniors. And I even thought even since then he hasn't been, like, impressive. But this match was really good. I would give it a 4.25. See, this was definitely my favorite match on the card besides the main event because I'm not counting that. I gave this match 4.5 stars. I thought the little spot in the middle where they were just slapping each other and then Daniel Garcia went down and Yuta was like, count him, ref, count him. And like he did start counting for a second and then he had spaghetti legs. I thought the match was over and then it wasn't. There was another like whole like another three, like four minutes left in it. It was just this match was freaking wild and so hard hitting. Like this felt like a G one match that was for the finals or something. It was it was great. It was my favorite match on the card besides the finale. And then afterwards, they announced on Dynamite tonight as a recording, it's going to be Daniel Garcia versus Brian Danielson. Which yeah, oh yeah, I'm in. Oh, yeah. All my money, even though it's on free TV, I will pay to see that match. <laughs> I will pay even though I don't have to, and I don't even know who I'm going to pay. And then the next match was another fucking banger. Like, like 
this match didn't need to be on the card, but I'm glad that it was. Like, they needed all the matches that they had on the card to, like, fill the card. But, like, just to have just a random Roosh versus Dragon Lee, like, legit brothers facing each yeah. other match that, like, Priest Coleman put over has never happened before, which I highly doubt. Yeah, but I I've don't never believe seen that. It before. I've never maybe seen never it before. On, maybe never on American soil. Yeah, definitely not in Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, I like... I liked it because I always like uh, like when Lucha Brothers go up against each other because they know each other so well. And, I mean, obviously, both of them, there's definitely comparisons with both of them being luchadors and stuff like that. It felt very similar. But I feel like Roosh and Dragon Lee have better chemistry together than uh, Penta and Phoenix. And, like, this match, like, I love this match. Like, I, don't, I can't even go through all the spots because it was so fucking fast. But uh, I, this match was a 4.75. It was almost perfect for me. Like, yeah, this match, yeah, it was amazing. Like, I'm so glad they put this match on the card. And I'm glad they're, like, giving, like, time to guys that were actually in Ring of Honor and not just throwing, like, all, uh, like, AEW people in here. Yeah, I was really glad to see this match on the card. And, yeah, there's too many spots to name. I mean, just – the topes and the amount of flips and then just Roosh being an absolute dick and basically cheating throughout the whole match. I love the fact that they put that over that, oh, we didn't think he was going to do that because it's his own brother. But if he's willing yeah, to do yeah, it to win a championship. The heart at the end. Yeah. Like he yeah. wouldn't hit the move because he thought that his brother was hurt. Yep. And it was all just a clever ruse or a Roosh, if you will, <laughs> because then he hit that huge charging corner drop kick. And won the match, and you know, tranquilo, baby. One of the founders of the Los Ignorables. Of course, he's gonna cheat to win. Doesn't matter if your brother or not. Roosh needs that money victory, and he gets it. Four point five stars. Really, well. See, like I still think that Ian Rigabani is uh, a Wish.com Marwanalo. But that being said, Marwanalo is like the best ever. So like, I think Ian Rigabani is really good, and his mentor is kevin kelly like that's who he learned from and there's a lot of kevin kelly in him with like way he calls matches and like the way like they call uh uh when you get the bull you get the horns like the way he calls his matches is like exactly the same style as kevin kelly and that's probably why like i enjoyed this so much and i've enjoyed rigabani over the years and if you think about he's been the voice of ring of honor for like seven years now yeah like that's crazy like yeah and he's definitely over the years gotten better and better and like yeah i i still miss his days with cole cabana because that was my favorite uh co-partner with him but him those are good times are really good better than uh bj uh whatever his face yeah he was the worst (laughs) yeah yeah he sucked yeah ian rickabani is one that will go down and he'll be a part of ring of honor history forever and I would not have guessed that when he first started because he was hated. We liked him, but he was hated. He definitely, definitely has uh, Kevin Kelly in him. Like you can hear it. He and he loves professional wrestling. That's why I like him so much. But uh, this next match uh, would definitely it was the piss break match, and I hate to say that because it's the women's match, but it was this match even though it was for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, it just didn't feel like it had a place on the 
hard. It was it was weird. I felt the the build was rushed. Um, they were tag teaming like two weeks ago, and then the Serena Deeb was just scouting Mercedes Martinez. And that's the story they told. I don't know. I felt like it was rushed. The match was fine, but the crowd wasn't into it. Like the crowd needed a break after everything that they'd just seen, and with what was to come, they just they they weren't into it. Yeah, and it really took away from the match. Um, Mercedes Marce, uh, Mercedes Martinez won uh, by submission, and it was fine. Yeah, I would say probably two point five. I think the crowd really even took me out of it. I think it probably was better than a two point five, but the crowd was just they weren't they weren't doing this match. Like yeah, they were no. on fire for the rest of the night for the entire night. But this match was just like we need a moment. Yeah, the crowd definitely took have a cigarette. Yeah, this crowd took the time off because everyone definitely needed a smoke after what they had just seen. Because yeah, I mean they had just seen Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Yuta, and then Dragon Lee versus Roosh. Like I mean. Those two matches alone were enough to be semi and main event matches. Like that could have been the end of the night and everyone would have gone home happy. Like this match was in an unfortunate spot. I really do like both these women. I thought the match itself was good. I thought it was better than just decent. I thought it was a good match. But yeah, the crowd not being into it and just there just was a couple little small things in it. I do love Mercedes Martinez's finisher, that Brass City Sleeper. The like surfboard into the dragon sleeper. Like that looks like I would tap out immediately. There is once again another move. It's like the figure eight. There's no way out of it. I feel like once you're actually in it, if you were actually trying to hurt someone, like in that situation, there's nothing you could do to stop her. You could try and roll, but that would probably break your own neck. Like you're fucked. And so I like the finish. Uh, I gave it 3.25 stars. Moving on to the next match, which is probably the most built match on the card because they've been building it for like four months. But uh, we had the Ring of Honor Television Championship match, which is the champion Samoa Joe going up against Jay Lethal, which this match, you can see that Samoa Joe is definitely winding down his career. He's not as fast and as good as he used to be and like man he looks he's not looking great even since he's come back to AEW and ring of honor like when he came out i was like oh man dude like like you've been like i know you've been injured and like maybe you should have waited like a little bit longer before coming back because i'm not sure like you're in like ring shape but i eat it fine i don't want to like put him down for that or anything like that it just that was my first thought but uh, this match, it was what you would expect. It was uh, Jay Lethal healing it up and then Samoa Joe just, like, basically kicking his ass. I love the tease of Jay Lethal hitting the muscle buster. Um, Jay Lethal, like, doing his Jay Lethal, like, like, dive through the ropes is always fun. And he never blows himself up, which is awesome. It's a wild um, thing. I don't know how he doesn't do that. And then uh, the figure four, and they basically brought it up saying that he has more than one mentor in this business. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know, just crazy. Uh, well, what's his face got uh, thrown out right away before the match even started? Yeah, not Sanjay, uh, the big guy. I can't remember oh, yeah. his name. 
Um, because yeah, they they attacked Samoa Joe like right away. No, Samoa Joe attacked. So basically, the match started on the outside of the ring, and like yeah, they beat down Samoa Joe pretty good. Um, and then when the match started, they threw out the big dude. I always forget his name. Um, and then yeah, uh, what's his name did come out. Sanjay Dutt did come out, um, but it wasn't enough because Samoa Joe ended up. Uh, Locking in the Kakina clutch. I don't know if that's what they're calling it because they never say what it's called anymore. I don't know if that was like WWE name or I don't know. Anyways, he he uh got in the clutch on uh, Jay Lethal tap. Yeah. And Samoa Joe is still your television champion, which I was fine either way. I, I thought maybe they put the belt on Jay Lethal just because like Samoa Joe, you don't know how much he's gonna wrestle. You know, I don't yeah. know. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's healed. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so Samoa Joe won. Two point seven five. Yeah, great. But wasn't horrible. This was my lowest rated match on the card. I, I did. This is another one of those times where I graded heavily on a curve because I know who Samoa Joe is, and I know he's older, and I don't care, and I know who Jay Lethal is, and I don't care if he's older either, and I just. I, I wanted more. I wanted more from this match. This felt like a WWE match, and I just didn't dig it. Uh, I gave, I still, because of the two guys in it, and just there were some fun things, I gave it 2.5 stars. You know why I felt like a WWE match? Because that awesome like video promo before the match. Yeah. Like, that was almost, that wasn't quite WWE-esque, but that was a pretty good video promo. Like They went back like way back in the day. And yeah, and like it shows like this like uh, match has roots, like this has been a thing for a really long time. But I'm yeah. I'm I'm wanting them to move away from this now because, like I said, they've been doing this for like four months, and I know Samoa Joe got injured. Um, but yeah, I want I don't know I want them Jay Lethal to do something else. I don't know I don't know what. But I do like his heel character. I like what they got going on. And I like that they're using him in Ring of Honor because it feels right. He's the franchise. He is like, Mr. Ring of Honor. Like, yeah. Um, and then finally, we have our main events. And I watched this two days after the fact. And I did not know the outcome. And I was very proud of myself for not knowing. But I figured how it was going to go. And it went pretty much how I thought it was going to go. and. It was damn near perfect. Like, everything about this match. Like, they had a great video package before the match as well. But, like, it's just, yeah. Uh, The promo on Dynamite to, like, for this match. Like, Dax Harwood is a fucking star. Like, push him and make him a world champion for real. Like, that dude is a fucking star. And I still can't believe to this day that FTR are better baby faces than they are heels. Because they were great heels. But, like, I'll fight anybody that disagrees with me. FTR, like, they were meant to be baby faces. It's not even close. It's not even close, and I wouldn't have believed it either. They are so fucking good. Like, Like, yeah, they're probably my second favorite tag team of all time behind DIY and like they're I mean obviously one of their biggest rivals but like oh my god I don't even know what to say about this match because it was so 
Like, so basically at the beginning when they announced that there was a 20-minute time limit, I mean, no, sorry, an hour-long time limit. I don't know, I said 20. I think it's two out of three falls. Um, I was like, oh, shit. That means this match is going to be a long one. I mean, I already figured it did, but now, now you're giving me a time limit. Like, um, yeah, like right away, the Briscoe is just going nuts on Dax and like going for the early victory open with the, yeah. all those chops is like chest was bleeding. Like, oh man. Um, yeah, Briscoe's like took care of FTR. Uh, like every time that Dax tried to get a tag in and cash, like something would happen. Like there was that one spot. It was perfect when he went to get the tag and Mark pulled uh, cash off the apron. Uh, like right as he was going to get the tag. And at one point, like uh, Dax found a second win and fought off both the Briscoes. And he goes over to his corner, get the tag and cash is on the floor. It's just like, like this whole match, like the whole time, like I love the Briscoes, but there was no way I wasn't pulling for FTR in this match. Like the whole time, like they told uh, such a great story and like just them beating them down. And then finally hitting the doomsday device, to get the first fall and with uh cash like trying to get in there and Mark Briscoe holding him back yep. with like all I his might it. and they get in the win and it's just like damn like I, I I figured that the Briscoes would get the first win and then the FTR would have to be the like underdogs and come back, which is the way it should have been. This I don't know if there's ever been a more perfectly booked like two out of three falls match ever. Like, I, seriously. I, I I seriously don't also know what to say because after that first fall, then shit just ramped up to a whole nother intensity level because then the Briscoes are just trying to close it out. And every one of their near falls felt like I was like, oh my God, are they really going to let the Briscoes sweep FTR? The, and the rules are the men that like ended the last fall had to start the next fall. Oh. So like Dax was like, beat up to like shit like he was like done and then like every time they would like take cash out but finally he got that hot tag and like oh man he was beating the shit out of both of them and i thought he was gonna get like their fallback like off that hot tag like when he did that suplex on mark briscoe and like didn't happen but then uh him and mark battled on the outside just like the last match and he busted uh, a cash open. And all of a sudden, Mark's bleeding again. This is like the last match. is like, what the fuck happened? Like, I don't know. But these two tag teams, like, holy shit, the chemistry that they have and never facing each other before, like, Supercard of Honor. Like, oh, my God. Like. That's wild. I, like, I literally, like, so much happened. And I'm, like, replaying it in my brain. But, like, I can't even, like, get the words out because, like, this was like perfection. Like this is I mean, probably Jay the Briscoe kicked out of a I've top rope shadow life. machine. Top rope shadow machine. Jay Briscoe kicked out of it. And I don't know and, if it's true or not that no one's ever kicked out of it, but I believe it. But Caprice Coleman, like he was building up to that moment the entire night using that whole line, but like him shouting, No one's ever kicked out of it. Like, ah. Uh, I, I, I agree. I like the Shatter Machine name better than Big Rig, but Big Rig does fit. Yeah. Like, so I'm not upset about it. I refuse but, to call it uh, Big Rig. I mean, it's not a bad name, though. No. But Shatter Machine's so much better. Things. But, oh, man. Like, this match, like, they won the, their fall off of the Big Rig. But yeah, yep, earlier in the like, matchup. 
Oh, man. And then uh, at the end of the third fall, the Briscoes are setting up for another doomsday device. And uh, Cash prevented it from happening. Um, By suplexing Mark to the outside through two tables. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Damn. This match was all over the motherfucking place. I don't even know what happened after that. Then it came down to just Jay versus Cat or versus Dax, yes. and they are beating the hell out of each other. Jay goes for a Jay Driller, uh, he misses it. Dax hits a Jay Driller, but only for a two count. Then Jay hits a Jay Driller, only for a two count. They keep battling it out. Goes to the top rope. Looks like Jay's gonna get him. Dax gets up there and hits a second rope two or pile driver. Yeah. And then. Does one of the best covers I've ever seen where his legs were just like hooked under yeah. his shoulders and he just turned over. And Dax is like completely passed out, but he then crossed his feet over his chest. So technically it's a pin. Shoulders are down. He's holding them down. Yep. yep. And he got the three count off of that pin. And like that was the best way to do it because like it showed like how physically exhausted these teams were that that was the kind of pinfall that won this match. Like Oh, yeah, and this was at, like, 50 minutes. We should probably make that uh, clear. The match went 43 minutes and 25 seconds. 43 minutes, fine. Yeah, like, but it was balls to the wall right from the beginning. They didn't, like, have any rest holds. They were, like, they were strong style right from the beginning. I mean, mean, the Briscoes never have uh, rest holds. But, like, it, yeah, like, just to show, like, how Jay Briscoe had nothing left in the tank that, he got beat with just the leg draped over him. And then, like, I mean, this match, like, I'm not going to be Dave Meltzer and, like, go over five stars. If I have, like, five, I'm going to keep it to a limit. And it ends on five stars. So this match is a five-star match in my rating scale. And But I still think it might have been the best tag team match I've ever seen in my life. And the FTR are in – like, they got to be in, like, four or five of my top ten tag team matches ever. So, like, does that make them the best tag team ever? I don't know. They could be. Like, they're on their way, for sure. Um, the after the match, when they did the Code of Honor, too, then the Briscoe shook their hand. I like that. Um, and then the promo, like I said, fucking Dax is a fucking star. And after – Dropping f bombs and everything, like telling him, like fucking loves pro wrestling. Yep. And like, oh my god, like, top guys. Before the Ow. promo, I loved like I love. I didn't like that in NXT. Like I despised them. Like so, my thing with them when they first started, like they worked me good. I despised them. Plus, like I said, I like DIY. So like, and they were the ones that were always winning. It was always uh, FTR that would win over DIY. And like with and like dis- disrespecting the belts by clinking them together, and like it just always annoyed me. But over the years, like obviously they they went up, and once they left WWE and like was in AEW, they're getting better, even as heels. And then all of a sudden, this run this year is uh, faces. Oh my god! But like seriously, you can put the you can put the heavyweight title on Dax Harwood, and like he legitimately deserves a shot at it. Like, he's that good of a wrestler. He's not just a tag team guy. Like, he's becoming, like, one of my favorite wrestlers. And, like, FTR is not just one of my favorite tag teams. Like, 
Yeah, it's crazy. This might, I'm not sure. I haven't really decided yet, but this might be the best take team match I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, uh, five stars without question. Um, too much to talk about and how great it is. Diesel's hit every main point that there is. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say, but top guys out like five stars. This, I put this in the rarefied air of Kenny Omega versus Okada as how good this match was. Their match at Supercard of Honor was phenomenal, like a five star classic. This was a better. And I don't want to break the scale either, but like, uh, this feels like a seven star kind of, they call it seven star FTR. Like, fuck it, seven stars. I'm doing it. I mean, I don't know how they could top this. Like, their match, their matches against the Young Bucks were really fucking good. But they weren't as good against as their matches against the Briscoes. Like the the best matches they've had in their career, I'm saying it against the Briscoes. Like and uh-huh. I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that. Like them coming out of the WWE. Like I this wasn't even on my radar. I mean, obviously I love the Briscoes, but I never really like, really thought I want to see the revival versus the Briscoes. That wasn't like there were so many other tag team matches with those guys in it that I that I wanted to see before the Briscoes. But now I feel dumb because of how good it was and, like, how perfectly matched they are for each other. And, like, yeah. The Briscoes do not get the credit they are due. And, like, I know that we have High Five Tom listening right now and saying, fuck yeah, they don't. And Now you ruined my joke, so I don't even care. I have nothing else to say. Nothing else to say. I'm sorry. Whatever. That was Supercard of Honor. No, no, it wasn't. That was Death Before Dishonor. <laughs> really good fucking show. I had a lot yeah. of fun watching the entire fucking show. I'm so glad that Tony Khan like, bought Ring of Honor. And he is a mark enough that I think Ring of Honor is in good hands. I think it is in good hands as well. Great show, Death Before Dishonor. Everyone is out there bitching about it. Stop it. At least Ring of Honor is still going and let it breathe all right it's been two pay-per-views it's gonna be all right loved it though but i think that has been enough wrestling chatter for this evening so boys hit that sound effect All right, fuck it. Let's just roll right into it. Diesel, what a hell of a night it's been for pro wrestling. Hell of a week it's been for pro wrestling, I mean. But it's time to do some final thoughts because that's what that sound effect means forever and ever. Uh, My first final thought is, you know, I complained about Don Castle's music. How nice is it to hear him say, boys, let's go break some hearts again. It, It felt right. It truly felt right. I've missed that. I did as well. Um, yeah, this weekend, I don't think we got anything really. Oh, yeah, we do. Never mind. S- Sunday, we got the Insane 8. I was thinking about, like, me and Emily and, like, Benji, like, family stuff. And then, yeah, yeah I'm going to be gone on Sunday. I'm not going to be around for family stuff because we're going to be at a non-family-friendly event in Waukesha, Wisconsin, at the Elks Lodge, our old stomping ground. And... Uh, I'm pretty excited. Insane Aid never disappoints. 
and gonna bring our uh, lawn chairs and just chill in the back and hit some uh, cartridges and yeah, to have a good old day. And watch a whole bunch of grown men bleed a bunch. Yeah, but not on me this time because I'm gonna be far away from that. And he says that now, and he's now he's you know cursed the universe. He's gonna get someone else's blood on him. That's what's gonna happen. Well, I mean, it'll probably happen on August 21st when we're back at La Pica because we're front row for that one. Yeah. Well, that's a story for a different day. Any other final thoughts, Diesel? Yeah, there's also a SummerSlam this weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually forgot about um, that. So, uh, quick final thought on that. I've been back and forth this morning. Whether I, Originally, I'm like, I'm not watching it. Now I'm like, should I watch it? Because like, reports are that this is Triple H's like, actual first fully like head of creative show. But at the same time, my like, my brain's saying like, they they're saying that because they want you to think that, but you're gonna yeah. watch it and it's gonna be the same old fucking shit. They just want ratings, so I think I'm gonna hold off on watching it and wait until Sunday and see what everyone thinks of it. And if like people are like, like on fire about it, uh, maybe I'll watch it Sunday after the insane eight. But other than that, uh, I'm not gonna watch it live. I still think it's going to be a little bit before WWE like writes its course, if they even do. So I don't think uh, this weekend is is going to be anything super special. But who knows? I could who be knows? wrong. I hope I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I will also probably wait to see what the rest of the world says about SummerSlam before I check it out. But yeah, besides that, ICW Insane Eight. I can't believe it's already that weekend. And we go to it every year, but still, it snuck up on me this year. And I'm, as always, excited to watch some people get hit in the head with light tubes. And yeah, I mean, who who shouldn't love that? It's just glorious violence. And I'm an American, and I love me some gratuitous, glorious violence. So this year, uh, you want to make a quick pick? Who's going to win it? Because I think everyone's going to win it. Who's going to win it? I think it's going to be Akira. Yeah? I think it's his year. I could see that. I kind of thought it was his year uh, a couple years ago, not uh, the year Schlack won it, but I could see that. I can't remember who all is in it, so I'm going to agree with you. Um, it's They don't have any like super big people like they have in years past, like Schlack or um, Alex Clone or like people like that, but uh, it's everybody you know. Mickey Knuckles is supposed to be in it this year. Hopefully she doesn't uh, get sick on the day of again because – uh, out of all this time that she's been wrestling at ICW Milwaukee, it's been during like the pandemic, and I've actually not gotten to see her in person yet. So I was kind of bummed last year that she didn't wrestle. I was as well. So yeah, actually, you know what? If she wrestles, I'm picking Mickey Knuckles. Fuck it, it's on pay per view. Yeah, right, Why not? Progressive, <laughs> progressive baby. It's 2022. All right, Diesel. Social media stuff, so we can get on out of here. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Diesel underscore VFTR. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad's underscore mine. Or at View no, at VFTR2PO. Yeah, I already screwed up. God damn it. Anyways, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook by searching View from the Top Rope Official. You can follow us on... Did I say Twitter? Yeah. yeah. I did. Yeah, that's the one I fucked up on. 
You can follow us on YouTube by searching View from the Top Rope. You can send us an email to of you from top rope at gmail.com. Be sure to follow Visionaries Global Media on Twitter at Viz Global Media. Send your podcasts in to be reviewed and uploaded to the podcast channel that we have, which is called Visionaries Global Media. And sending your podcast to Visionaries Global Media at gmail.com. That was actually a, not a bad save. But, uh, and you'll be heard on Stitcher. Uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podknife, and Podable. And just so, so many others. That that was a good save. I mean, you really seem to go off the cliff right away, but then, you know, somehow Wiley Coyote style, you survived. I got the yips, man. I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, I fucked up, and I got the yips. Yeah, it happens. Maybe we'll get you a, you know, a sports psychologist or something to see if we can fix that for you. <laughs> As always, though, folks, we thank you all so very much for listening to this madness that we call a podcast. Also, make sure you check out all of the upcoming G1 action. We'll be talking about it next week, so get excited. As always, though, I have been Chad. He has been Diesel. Seriously, you're all amazing for listening to this podcast. Make sure you're like, commenting, sharing, and subscribing so other people can hear this podcast and we can reach more and more people because you know what? We just want to talk to more people. The more people we talk to, the happier we are. So make sure you're telling your friends, your family, and your neighbors or your enemies, your coworkers, or anyone else who will listen to you. Always remember, be kind to each other out there. We're all just humans trying to survive on this spinning blue orb that we call Earth. There's no reason to be a dick. So just be nice. And always remember to climb up high and enjoy VFTR 2.0.